Happy Doug Jones Day, everyone. We're very excited to bring you the second annual Doug Jones Day episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. And we have good news and bad news. The good news is Jake, Nick, and I actually recorded this episode in the same room now that we're all vaccinated. So this is the first time we were able to record an episode together since March of 2020. The bad news is that despite doing some audio tests at the beginning that sounded okay, the final audio didn't come out sounding so great. We were expecting some audio issues recording together in studio for the first time in a while, and the end audio sounds a bit like we recorded the episode from the inside of an empty soda can rather than Jake's studio. But we're going to work on that for the next episode, and we still think this is a really fun discussion, and it was really great being in the same room together. So we hope you enjoy the episode, and again, happy Doug Jones Day. And welcome to Doug Jones Day 2 with the Scary Stuff Podcast. This is Eric Dellinger and joined by co-host Nick Leamy. Hey everybody, it's great to be back in the studio. And Jacob Jones Goldstein. Hi everybody, we're all together in the same room now. Yes, this is our first episode back in studio since March 15th of 2020. Feels like an eternity ago. What a bunch of fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I missed you guys. <laughs> no, I don't, I, I'm not going to miss the inevitable punch into the side that Jake's going to give me shortly, I'm sure. I'm sure we agree on everything for this film. Come on. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? No, it's really great having you guys back. The studio we call Possum Kingdom, I'm already banging shit, uh, <laughs> is I built in, in my house. And when we first started, it's like, cool, we'll have a studio. And, well, you know, we got all this equipment, everything set up, and I had to dust a lot of it today uh, because I've only used my section for, you know, when we record. I'm still down here. But your mic, Eric, has had a skinny Lister hat on it since hey. pretty much the day after. And Seems appropriate. Nick's mic was where the cats like to rub their heads. I uh, also appropriate. was pretty happy that it was yours and not Eric's because Eric's allergic. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it's great to have you back. It's great to see you guys. I'm, I'm oh, God, so yes. used to seeing you online while we're doing this and not having pants on. You guys are the first folks other than my mother I have been hanging out with after I got vaccinated. Aww. This is the first time. We love yeah, you too. roommate. But yeah, I've seen my mom twice and that's it. Oh, so I, I, I was thinking about it when we were starting this and I went out and I decided to wear this shirt. My shirt says, I wish that this would end. And it's the first shirt I got during the pandemic. It's from Trapper Shope. It's a lyric from one of his songs. And it summed up the pandemic for me at the time. And then there was another year of it after I got the shirt. But now I can wear this and it's not, it's not over. But we're back doing this. And oh, shit, I'm getting emotional. Holy crap, I didn't think I could do that anymore. <laughs> oh, it's a good thing we're talking about a bullshit movie today. <laughs> this is definitely the right episode to uh, waste that on. <laughs> but yeah, this it, is nice. It is. And this is a really appropriate first episode for us to be back in studio for a couple reasons. Absolutely. And one thing we'll mention... Probably goes without saying, this is only the second time we've done this in this particular setup. And like I mentioned, we haven't done this together in this room since March of 2020. Yep. So if there's audio hiccups or anything like that, just bear with us. It's a single movie, so we're going to work out some kinks for this recording. But the last time we were in this room was our Mike Flanagan episode. Mm -hmm. 
where we first talked about Doug Jones Day, which for folks who don't know, Doug Jones Day originates from the one day Doug Jones showed up on the set of Mike Flanagan's movie Absentia. And he was so happy about it that he proclaimed the day Doug Jones Day and they had good catering. And every year since then, he's talked about Doug Jones Day. Doug Jones is a good man worthy of having a day dedicated to him by far. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Doug Jones is so lovely as a human being. And the last time we were in this room is when Jake said, well, we're going to celebrate Doug Jones Day ourselves going forward. So it's appropriate that Doug Jones Day is our first episode back. The other part of it that makes it appropriate was the last time I was here, I was dressed rather ridiculously <laughs> in bedecked in coffee memorabilia doing an overwrought joke about our desperate need for sponsorship. So I was wearing all this coffee branded merchandise. And now that I'm here, I'm literally drinking from this bag of coffee, which has our logo on it. So this Yay. is uh, scary stuff podcast branded coffee from rootless coffee company. And this episode's going to be coming out on June the 30th which is the same day this coffee is going to be available. So when you hear us, you can order some. Yes, go to rootlesscoffee.com slash collections slash partners, or just go to rootlesscoffee.com and go to the partners link, and you'll see all the branded coffees, and then ours should be on there. Sometime on June the 30th is when it should be going live. It, it's really cool to me to, you know, to be talking, you know, doing a coffee gag when I was here a year and a half ago, and now we've got coffee with our name on it, which is really cool. And... It's our favorite coffee. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I was thinking that with Doug Jones because we we always joke about Mike Flanagan being our favorite human and he loves Doug Jones so much. So Doug Jones is the favorite human of our favorite human. (laughs) But but one funny byproduct of doing this podcast over the past year and a half has been finding little small batch coffee roasters. And I've sampled a bunch of them, but I found the rootless folks. Because all their bag designers are comic book artists. So nice. They have, you know, Emily Pearson, Kelly Williams, Liana Kangas, all these fabulous artists who do all their coffee bags. I got their sampler and I legitimately, I've loved a lot of companies I've tried, but sincerely, Rootless has been the favorite coffee I've sampled on the pod and they're what I drink consistently. So to that point, if anyone tries to say that we're only drinking Rootless because they offered us the branding... Here are the <laughs> here are the bags. Jesus Christ! There are his, well, that's a lot. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, and then four sampler bags. And there's about six more of these waiting for me at home. Nice. So, yeah, I got the receipts when it comes to drinking rootless. <laughs> you know, look, if they were paying for us to advertise, we would tell you. Now, is this a limited time offer? As in case somebody listens to the pod later. Yeah. So if you listen to this later, it's probably only going to be up for a couple months. Okay. So, so figure, let's say, probably like July, August of 2021. So, so stock up. No, I won't be surprised if we have some extras. So if you're interested in getting some and it's no longer on the website, definitely hit us up on Twitter. We'll see what we can do for you. Yeah, absolutely. And to that end, speaking of Twitter, one other thing I did want to mention for the timing of us recording this. So this episode's going to be coming out on June 30th, and right now there is a documentary that is being kickstarted, which is called Mental Health and Horror, and the Kickstarter for it just launched a couple days ago, and it's being produced by a friend of the pod, Dave Lawson Jr. Yay. He's our other favorite human. <laughs> he is. We love Dave here. We like and a lot of people at this pod. We're big-hearted. <laughs> Despite, as you implied at the beginning, there's going to be a lot of bitterness for the, the back three quarters of this episode, probably. Oh, yeah, I'm getting all the positivity oh, it, out it, now. It's a black pulsating like with evil heart. It's big. Very big. <laughs> but it's big. Oh, man, I can't be that down in this movie. It's got Charles S. Dutton in it. But, yeah, so Dave is a producer on this documentary. 
And we just wanted to mention it because this is, aside from, you know, we love Dave and we'll support anything he works on. This is a really cool project. As the title implies, Mental Health and Horror, it's a documentary about horror as, you know, a place for people to go and deal with their trauma. You know, horror is so often derided as a lesser genre or, you know, people think it's counterproductive in terms of mental well-being and trauma. Oh, and, you've been talking to my mom. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but that's the exact stigma that this documentary is looking to talk about. So aside from Dave, so the writer-director on it is Jonathan Barkin, who's awesome, but the producers on it, it's a ton of people you probably already follow on Twitter. Aside from Dave, there's Andrew Hawkins, who is a producer on In Search of Darkness Parts 1 and 2, which I believe are both currently on Shudder. BJ Colangelo, who's the co-host of the This Ends of Prom podcast, and Zena Dixon, who everyone probably knows. She's real queen of horror on YouTube. She co-hosts the Bloody Disgusting podcast. All the folks I just mentioned are fabulous. And they're still getting interviews and they're still acquiring the crew on it. But I mean, even so far, as far as the folks they're going to be interviewing, they've announced Linnea Quigley, Issa Lopez, uh, Rebecca McKendry, Christina Arts, Gigi Saul Guerrero. So it's a really, really cool lineup of folks they're getting on board to interview for this. Even I know who all those people are. <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's but, saying a lot. Yeah. No, these are some really interesting and really high profile folks. So. I can read off the Kickstarter link, but I think speaking of the Twitter thing, I would just go follow them on Twitter. So they are at MHHorrorDoc on Twitter. So that's at M-H-H-O-R-R-O-R-D-O-C on Twitter. If you go there, you'll see the link to the Kickstarter. Or just go to our Twitter page, at ScaryStuffPod on Twitter, because we're retweeting links for this like crazy, because we really, really want this documentary to succeed, because it sounds fabulous, and there's wonderful people involved with it. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And if you listen to our Lake Mungo episode recently that we did with Dave, you can tell from that how much he cares about mental health, grief, yes. trauma. It's a big thing. And for them to be doing this is really cool. I'm excited for it. Again. Nobody's paying us to say this shit. We no, no. Want this stuff. <laughs> Not a single no. Nobody pays us for anything. So if you want to pay us for stuff. We would like your look, money. Look how good we do when we're doing it for free. <laughs> Imagine if our well-being depended on this. <laughs> Mine does. You want me to talk about medical bills for half an hour? Jesus Christ. I just I got to get my gallbladder out, man. You people could help. So you got to keep it? No, they, it gets mulched when they vacuum what? it out. Oh, yeah. that's it's BS. like they did with my tumor because I asked about what? that too. It's like, come on, man, you gotta let me keep some of this shit from inside me. You know, I, 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 <laughs> particularly when doing a hard podcast, I need to be able to keep some shit in jars. For the I studio. would love to have a jar with my <laughs> organ in it. Like that, that's not even. I mean, I wouldn't go out of my way to make it happen. Like I wouldn't be like, you know, let's go get one now. But you know, it's like if I had to have something removed, I'd love to keep it. That'd be cool. That's what I keep telling people. But no, back to topic. Yeah, Doug Jones Day, and the movie we picked is Legion. Which I don't think is, we've mentioned that yet. Which, you know, is yeah, important. Well, we mentioned it on Twitter, yeah. yeah but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We got a lot we got to get out, people. We haven't seen each other in a while. Yeah, Nobody is... looks like Zoom anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if folks have seen this movie before, yeah, this is kind of the fleetingest of Doug Jones' appearances. It's like less uh, than five minutes. Uh, uh, it's almost less than a minute. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's very distinctive. You remember it. It yeah. sticks with everyone who's seen it. For Doug Jones Day 1, we did Night Angel, one of his first <laughs> roles. And it was one of the roles where Doug Jones was largely makeup-free. He wasn't in a monster suit. There was some special effects at the end, but he was just Doug Jones being Doug Jones. And he was delightful. Yeah, he was basically the best part of that movie. 
by a long shot. Oh, that movie's yeah. fascinating. <laughs> yeah, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't seen it. That's, it's an interesting movie, and we guarantee you probably haven't seen it. So It is definitely that, a product of its time. Discovering that movie is one of my favorite things about year one of our pod. It's, <laughs> uh, it is not a good movie, but it is it is bad in fascinating ways and has elements that are legit interesting, particularly in the makeup and some of the concept stuff. But this movie shares that you get to see, at least briefly, Doug Jones as Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. Before he shuffled out of the picture. But this is a movie we've talked about doing on the pod for a while. Because, yeah, uh, <laughs> some of us have opinions on this movie and have had them for a while. He means me. Yep. You have opinions on all movies. I do. <laughs> How do you watch something and go neutral? What are you, wearing beige all the time over here? Tell my wife I said, hello. <laughs> I, I, I Well, I'll say this up front. I liked this movie more. This time than I did the first time. I still think the central conceit is stupid and kind of ridiculous. But... I understood this movie better the second time than I did the first time. I actually missed a big point the first time I watched it. Because oh, really? okay. it is poorly executed. <laughs> so I, I will say this. My wife liked it and she said she had some affection for it. And I said, really? I thought you didn't like stuff where angels were bad. She said, well, it's demons. I'm like, no, it's no. angels. Incorrect. And she's like, no, I'm sure it's demons. No. So this uh, news here first. I won an argument. Because <laughs> hey! it's angels. They don't even yeah, mention demons in Enjoy it. it for the next five years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Nick's going to get into the production credits on this a bit, but the one writer on it, is it Kevin Schink? Because I keep getting his first name wrong. Peter. Peter Schink had written a draft of this movie, and his original concept was it was very stand-esque, and it was inspired by a sequence we're going to talk about a little bit with a character by the name of Gladys. He had a real life event, which kind of inspired this scene, and then he had a concept. Of, <laughs> can See, you hear I, Nick's head I, swiveling I, around? I think, I think he needs the first half of glass, not the second. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> shit, if that really happened to you, man, I don't, I don't know what. <laughs> now he mentions the interview. He was stuck in a Carl's Jr. because of a blizzard, and when he was in there, there was an elderly woman in there who was muttering to herself. And whatnot, but it was just the circumstances of being trapped in this place, whether it was just it, the image very much stuck in his head. And he retained that, transplanted it to the desert, and he wanted to do this movie, which was about the apocalypse, and do it with demons. And specifically, what he mentioned in an interview was he wanted to do the Miltonian, you know, paradise lost approach to demons. Like, you know, when they depict them, depict them like you would in a Doré painting. Something like that, this very classical approach to demons and and really do that element of it. And then Scott Stewart came on board and had the idea of, well, let's turn him into angels instead. And what you get in the finished film, and we'll talk about it as we go, is that inherent concept is not necessarily bad. You know, the concept of, you know, because we've seen demons a bunch of times. All right, you want to do something with angels as the bad guys? We can do that. That is doable. But if you're going to take a movie that is predicated on demons and then switch them to angels you either need to redo a lot more of it than you do in this movie or just really change your approach to it because there's a lot of stuff that just makes zero sense in this movie (laughs) in terms of retrofitting it to be angels and we'll get into as we go but the dogs of heaven that that's That's the one line, the dogs of heaven. They use that to explain everything. That's why it's okay for them to be kind of more bestial. That's why it's okay for them to be more nasty looking. But yeah, it's not enough. 
It is not, it is not nearly enough to save this movie. Well, if you think about it in terms of all dogs go to heaven, it gets a little <laughs> creepy. <laughs> John Booth's Legion. I don't know why I mean obviously I know why my brain made this connection because I'm diseased and I drank a lot as a kid but (laughs) it was just one of those things every time they see the dogs of heaven I'm like so all dogs go to heaven and now they're getting shunted back down to earth as people with sharp teeth and turning on their masters it kind of fits it's stupid (laughs) but I like to think of this as a sequel to all dogs go to heaven Legion also known as Hope Yeller's Revenge (laughs) since we're talking about it it's completely tangential but related to all dogs go to heaven (laughs) and talking about horror stuff there is a comic currently being published by Image Comics called Stray Dogs if you like horror comics give this a shot it's a five issue mini it's about to be wrapped up in fact the last issue might have just come out but it's basically I mentioned the premise. The premise is basically a serial killer who, as he kills his victims, he takes their dogs and he has this whole caboodle of dogs who don't remember what happened before they got to the house. They have vague memories oh, flashes Jesus. of a previous owner who something awful happened to. So it's basically kind of this Silence of the Lambs-esque thriller from the perspective of all these dogs. But the dogs wow. are very specifically drawn in an animated Don Bluth-esque style. Oh my so you God. have this, this visual thing that's very much at odds with this Hari undertone. So it's a really fun comic. The The guy who's writing it is Tony Fleeks, who's been a writer and artist for a lot of My Little Pony stuff for IDW. So <laughs> it's very much in his wheelhouse. He's also a big horror fan. So completely tangential, but we might be talking comic stuff before too long. So I figured it was appropriate to throw that out there. It's a really fun horror comic. I'll try yeah. that down. And when you're in the store, buy the many deaths of Layla Starr by Ron Yes, v. buy anything it's, from it's Ron It's fucking good. But start with many deaths of Layla Starr, and then just work your way back. Th- this is my life's mission now, is to get as many people to read this comic as possible, because it's great. Also not getting paid. <laughs> but if Boom Studio wanted to pay us, I would do a much more vigorous ad than that. Yeah, circling back to this movie. Yeah. Well, well you least... talk about comics, and yeah, there is a preview comic for this that came out a few months before it called Legion Profits. It was put out by IDW and it it serves technically as a prequel, although it's happening concurrently with the movie. Okay. The stories it's, I'll get into it a little bit. So it's the story. There's an offhand mention in the movie towards the end about find the profits. Mm -hmm. The comic is about the profits and it's a series of people who have this awakening as the apocalypse kind of is starting to ramp up where they it heightens their natural abilities. Like one of them is a housewife who's very good at puzzles, and she can suddenly fix a car without knowing anything about cars because it's basically a puzzle. Huh, okay. And another kid finds a lost Dead Sea Scroll that's got some Enochian script on it. Okay. And he finds he can read it and nobody else can, and he gets an idea of what this Dead Sea Scroll, which is predicting the apocalypse, is saying. And then there's you know a high-end sex worker who becomes a ninja because... It's still stupid comics, but <laughs> and there's the, and the big connection is you hear that three quarters of the way through the movie a radio broadcast from a guy telling him that there's resistance pockets out there. That's actually a right wing radio host, and he is a character and kind of narrates the comic book. It was written by Scott Stewart and Tom Waltz with art by Alberto Muriel, and it's pretty good. It answers a few questions. I'll mention it here and there when it crops up as we're talking about the movie, but not super essential. To anything, unless you know you want a little bit more information about stuff mentioned in the film. But okay, I do like it when there's a you know comic tie-in to movies sometimes, especially if there's if it's like a prequel. It's not necessarily an adaption. As long as it's not required 
to understand the film. I'm fine with that. You know, additional material for a franchise I love. The this movie makes jack all sense to me because I didn't read this small side bit or see this like webisode. That's bullshit. <laughs> this movie requires a fair amount of outside work to make a lot of things make sense. Unfortunately, taken as itself, it's a little Looney Tunes in spots. Yeah. And I'll mention on that note too, I read the script for this. I was hoping to find, I'm um, going to say Kevin again, Peter Shink. <laughs> I was hoping to find the Peter Shink draft, you know, before all the rewrites couldn't find that. So I just found the shooting script. But I had kind of the same thought, whether or not it would have more exposition and kind of illuminate some of the side details. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. And there's only a couple things that are different that I'll mention as we go. But it's, it, yeah, so I, I didn't get a lot of clarity on that front. So. Yeah, and in reading about it, I found one comment about a deleted scene, or maybe it didn't get filmed, but that explained one of the questions Nick is going to have. And we'll talk about it when we get to that point. But yeah, there's a lot, it seems like there's a lot missing Mm -hmm. from this that explains things but the problem is the fundamental foundation like you mentioned a lot of this movie makes more sense if it's demons but it being angels is just kind of you got to really stretch and i'll admit i don't like things that have angels as villains i think it's cheap like it's like oh what if the good guys are bad guys like "Eh, go to hell I'm yeah, fine well, with angels as bad guys if you do it right, because I really liked like the prophecy approach. You know, like would you really want to meet an angel? One dipped in grace, one dipped in blood. You know, for wings. But it's uh, angels are tools. They're doing the Lord's work. Sometimes the Lord is unpleasant. Not the new covenant, theoretically, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of the things that makes this interesting too for Doug Jones Day. And I, I didn't really see him talk about this in interviews, but we mentioned briefly in the Night Angel episode that. Doug Jones is one of those actors who's actually very open about his faith. You know, he's very much a Christian and it's come up a few times and I'd be curious to see if he ever spoke on it. You know, someone of faith doing a movie where angels are the villains to, to the point that I wonder, it's like, did they, maybe they just didn't tell him <laughs> because he didn't necessarily have to, because you could right. just be like, Oh yeah. It's, oh, this is, I'm a crazy ice cream man with distended limbs and a creature. Oh, I must be a demon. Sure. Yeah, you're a demon. Don't roll with that. Action. <laughs> I, I actually have a quote that kind of addresses that from a Gizmodo interview with him, where he says, I'm one of the bad guys. I basically have a few showcase cameos in the film. My character plays in about the third part of the film, and that's when things break loose. Or when heaven breaks loose, rather. That said, I think theologically, it's a big mind bend. It's a good conversation starter for topics on religion. It really is, because humanity is in a place where we might deserve another flood, like what happened in the Old Testament. That's the question he's posing with the script. And it's really well written. It's a beautiful movie. Well. So, <laughs> I would argue with a little bit of that. But... I love you, Dougie. Because but... <laughs> here's what I'll say on, on the script. I always like reading screenplays for this podcast and seeing the different writing approach folks have. And particularly, like, the best one has been the Justin Benson scripts, like I've mentioned before, with just all these little asides in his personality comes through and and, and just his sense of humor. (laughs) This script, it's very effusive and it very much feels like someone's in the room, like an excited, like nineties comic book fan. It's like, Oh man, but then this happened. happened." Like there's exclamation points all over this script Uh, and all caps. And then there is literally a scene where it goes, but wait, it gets worse. <laughs> so we almost get an onyx bit, you know, but the way it gets worse. worse. <laughs> Not watered down because I'm dying of thirst. It, it's kind of charming, <laughs> you know, reading it because of the, whoever it was clearly so excited. I, 
and I don't know this, but I assume that is largely Scott Stewart because Scott Stewart's background is he was in visual effects. And so much of this movie is driven by a lot of the visual concepts of it. Like clearly a lot of the shot construction, it was like, there's so many shots of this movie. It was like, that's a trailer shot. That's a trailer mm-hmm. shot. That's a trailer shot. So he was clearly enthusiastic about it. <laughs> it, it seems that way. So I, I will say this. I think it's a good looking movie. Yes. Looking, um, yeah. Great DP, John Lindley, who we talked about in the Simpod. Yeah. Great DP. I like and to I, think of it as a roller coaster. You know, it looks good. It's a heck of a ride. But when you actually like pay attention, it's like, wait, what? How's this all connect? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> well, but also roller coasters go up and down and have arcs. And this one is just kind of <laughs> for so much of the film. <laughs> and I think in the end, all right, so like I said on record, I don't particularly like it when you, you make angels the bad guys. I don't mind it when they're conflicted, like Michael in this being conflicted, fine. But when they're just straight evil, that just seems very counter to things, to the way I understand angels. And I, like, I'm not even a religious person. It's just, well, being strict and like lawful evil, maybe. But they're just, this is, they're just fucking with people and enjoying it. Like you hear all the shit the angels say to people. Yeah, like, the fair. angels are like, you know, oh, you're a whore. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's you can say you're not just with God or something, but you're a whore. Nah, that's not flying. Yeah. Or it, it, I guess maybe it is because they have wings. <laughs> But, you know, I could get past that if the movie was more than just essentially Terminator with angels instead of robots. You make a good point, because I could forgive angels attacking people, because there's always the the classic philosophy question. If God were to come down tomorrow and say, it is my will that you go off and kill everyone who's 18 or younger, is it right because it's God's will? Or is God wrong and it goes against morality? You know, it's like, you know, is morality above God or connected to God directly? And there's a lot of different ways you can go with that. But in this case, you know, angels fulfilling God's will in and of itself can be argued as not evil because it's they are merely the extension of his or hers or its wishes and needs in the universe. That being said, when they're going around calling people names and yeah. actively torturing them, <laughs> that maybe does not actually connect to this at all. Yeah, and that's a worthwhile <laughs> philosophical debate, but not one that's worthwhile to have a movie that makes me root for a guy named Jeep. Lose <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shit on this movie a fair amount. I didn't hate it the second time. I have a lot of problems with it. Yeah. And I so desperately want to like movies that have Charles S. Dutton in them. Oh, respect. It, it makes me a little madder when they both waste him and have a bad movie with him in it. And so it's both. <laughs> I, I will admit that that gets my goat a little bit. <laughs> but like I said before, I did like this more than the very first time I saw it. Not a lot, but it clicked with me a little easier or I just was a little more open to the concept. Maybe I don't know. I enjoyed it. I think the same as much as I saw it the first time I understood what it was doing a bit more, but it also made me a bit more angry when I thought about logically some of the plot logic loopholes that they just, there's, there's a part of this movie that I feel breaks it, but we'll get to that. Well, we, we've talked about this on the, the pod a couple of times. At least I've brought it up is that some movies do well with a close read. We talked about that in terms of in this our is not one of them. <laughs> a couple episodes ago when we did found footage and we talked about found footage 3D or cursory. It seems kind of goofy, but when you really look at what they're doing and give it a deep, it, it can get better. It gives Absolutely. you it's more rewarding. Some movies are like this where you really can't think about it too much if you want to enjoy it at all. Yep. You just have to turn that part of your brain that thinks off and just say, 
look at that spinny mace. That makes sense. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll have more to say on that topic at the end. But yeah, it is basically, I think, fixing this movie, you had to do one of two things. Either it needed a ground-up rewrite, or you needed to approach it in a very tonally different direction. Agreed. It's also, it's just simple problems. Like, it's got a pacing problem, aside from the logic problems. And some of the acting is really uneven. But it's got a lot of good people in it. It's got a lot of fun people in it. And that carries you through a little bit. I wish it didn't focus so much on the two least interesting people in the film. (laughs) But yeah, should we get into it? Let's do it. So, Legion was released in 2010. It was written and directed by Scott Stewart, who was also involved with Priest, Dark Skies, and did the uh, Christmas segment of Holidays. It was also written by Peter Schink, who did not much writing at all, but was a big editor. Not Kevin Schink. Not Kevin Schink. Peter Schink. (laughs) (laughs) Who was editor on Barbed Wire, Skinner, and Psycho Cop. (laughs) Sure. I love your faces. (laughs) This movie was edited by Stephen Kemper, who also edited The Relic, End of Days, The Meg, Time Cop, and The Punisher. Wow, is that a perfect filmography (laughs) for what this movie is. That's (laughs) that's fabulous. You know, ironically of those, the only one I haven't seen is The End of Days. We're going to cover it at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Cinematography was by John Lindley, who also worked on Mr. Brooks, The Serpent in the Rainbow, and The Original Stepfather. What a coincidence. Music by John Frizzell, who worked on I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, 13 Ghosts, Ghost Ship, Primeval, and Texas Chainsaw 3D. Oh, and Leatherface. The mega department head was Isabel Harkins, who worked on Planet of the Apes, The Unholy, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Wasn't she on One Division? Yes. <laughs> It was also produced by Bold Films, who worked on The Neon Demon, The Hole, Nightcrawler, and Drive. Wow. I didn't realize they did all that Nicholas Winding reference stuff. Mm -hmm. Distributed by Screen Gems, who also distributed The Unholy, Don't Breathe, and Resident Evil, also the Stepfather remake. I was about to say, the first thing we see in this movie is the Red Screen Gems logo. Yep. The last movie we watched for this pod was Stepfather 2009, and the first thing we see is the Red Screen Gems. I was like, hey, that's familiar. (laughs) And then uh, we get into the movie. You know, I, I kind of looked up Screen Gems for this. Mm-hmm. What a bad bunch of films they put up. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the Boogeyman, the Stepfather remake. There was just a lot of... It looked like they were just throwing stuff against the wall in the you know the mid-aughts and trying to find something that stuck. Boogeyman is like 85 minutes of crap circling this gem of five minutes, all right? <laughs> but yeah, it's a shit movie. <laughs> <laughs> And the movie starts with a quote. Come, ye children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 3411. We then get some narration from Charlie, played by uh, Adrian Palicki, who you may know from Seven Mummies, John Wick, and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Also, very briefly, Wonder Woman. Very, yes, very briefly. briefly. Yeah. She's talking about how when she, her parents were together, her mom would talk about how God is kind, merciful, and just. But after her dad left, those stories changed to her mom talking about a prophecy where God would cover the earth in darkness. I have a question. <laughs> <clears throat> where did her mom hear the prophecy? 
What prophecy is this? It's not in the Bible. It's not a fucking prophecy. I don't know. There are like 500,000 prophecies out in existence from one source or another. I didn't question it. No, I assumed it was made because the whole thing has the tone of it's like, is it really reads like the mom is just projecting bitterness onto God. 100%. Because it's like, you know, why, why did God abandon us? I assume God left to fuck his secretary too, just like your father did. <laughs> 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 I just, it was one of those things because I, I was listening to it. It's like, you know, my mom had heard this prophecy. Man, who the fuck hears prophecies, man? It's 2008 when this came out. Like, I'll buy that and, you know, we're watching Lord of the Rings. But this is not Lord of the Rings. It's mom in a, some sort of apocalypse cult. Who hears prophecies? Do you hear prophecies? When I go to the supermarket, there's nobody speaking prophecies anymore. They don't even have, have them hanging out in front of post offices now. I, I, I did a small minor in, like, religious studies. I know a few prophecies. <laughs> That's great. Do they involve Harry Potter? Look, I'm just saying it's 2008. <laughs> it was just it was one of those things. It's like don't say stuff like that casually because it's not like hearing a prophecy is casual. That's fair. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, my mom heard a prophecy. Why don't you question your mom's sanity? <laughs> I don't even know how I said sanity right there. Like, Why not? <laughs> Six one half of the other. Sanity. I like that. It's like Christmas prophecies. <laughs> At which point we get the title card. Legion! Yeah, we also get a lot of the opening score, or a sample of the score for this movie, which just comprises of a male choir going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Can I, one complaint about the title. Just the so, one? Yeah, it's just one word. <laughs> so, when you say Legion, you know, obviously, watching this, it implies the Legion of Heavens, somehow. But Legion in the Bible is the demons that inherit and yeah. you know inhabit the kid and then the pig and drown. That's true. We are, you know, we were we are many. Yeah. Yep. Which makes sense with the movies. Like, oh. like Exorcist 3 had the subtitle Legion. Yep. The book was called Legion. <laughs> right. So you're watching this motherfucker's called Legion. All right, let's get some demons up in this bitch. Oh, no, it's angels. Then why did you call it Legion? Did you call it Cherubim. Cherubim. I, I, would have been, I think it would be better as like the host. Yeah. Almost anything else. Like it's a cool one word title. It just makes no sense for the movie you're about to watch. <laughs> it's appropriate. I hadn't thought of it because this movie has a sequence with an old lady climbing on the ceiling, mm -hmm. just like Exorcist 3 does. Mm -hmm. so. We now cut to a full moon. It's early morning in Los Angeles, December 23rd. It's important to note that because the date, I don't believe, comes up ever again in the rest of the film. Yet it's pertinent. In the script, there's a running clock a bit where it, it'll show you the date and time mm -hmm. as it goes through because they want you to realize it's getting closer to Christmas Day. Right. So, at this point, Michael falls to Earth. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the sun, it, it, it's the sun of the moon reflected in a puddle, and then he just kind of comes into frame and splashes his hand. You know, all I can hear is the goofy. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is played by Paul Bettany from Priest, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and A Knight's Tale. Yeah, and this was one of the reasons I was... I wasn't super excited for this film when it came out, but I was kind of curious about it because this was kind of Paul Bettany's first action role. Mm -hmm. You know, before this, like I'd first seen him in A Knight's Tale and, you know, he had that great supporting role in that. And he'd done a lot of cursory parts, but it was, you see the poster and it's him, you know, it's like, oh, he's doing like an action part where he's kind of a central figure. This is going to be interesting. And he's fine. But yeah, that was, especially in the behind the scenes stuff, it's very much, you know, he and Scott Stewart obviously had a good rapport because mm -hmm. Scott Stewart also did Priest, which was the yep. movie that followed this up. So, yeah, but Paul Bettany was one of the reasons I checked this out initially. So, Michael is a little bloody and winded. Looks like he had a bit of a scuffle getting to Earth. 
He looks up menacingly at the sky and then cuts off his wings, which appears to remove the bonds that are around his neck. They never come back to that. All the, uh, well, now, because, okay, so we end up with our two classes of angels in this movie. You have the dogs of heaven, and then you have the what apparently are the only two highborn that you meet, which are yeah, you know, Michael, Michael and Gabriel. Gabriel. And Michael and Gabriel have these collars, the thick metal collars around their neck, which Gabriel maintains throughout the whole film. But they never address their actual... I mean, I can envision that it's like a symbol of servitude to God and, you know, and, and their duty and what they're bound by. But there's never addressed no it's dumber um <laughs> i found one of the articles i was reading about the film they mentioned a cut scene that either wasn't filmed or it was filmed i couldn't find any deleted scenes online and i didn't buy the the dvd or the blu-ray for this that addresses it which was that he cuts off his wings because that's the only way to get rid of the collar that was and, implied from the movie that right. part i got and the collar allows them to know where he is at all times it's just a tracking device? It's apparently a tracking device. What the hell? It's the <laughs> heavenly host. Can't they just know this shit? <laughs> well, apparently not. <laughs> we can traverse the planes. We can come from heaven to hell to earth. We, we have all these like transformation powers. We can possess things. But you know, where the fuck are you? Get my Lojack ready. That's like, <laughs> you can't microchip them like you have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I'll say that anecdote you just met, it's not in the script, so that must have been something oh, they threw in later. Geez, it was something, maybe yeah. it was, you know, it was apocryphal, you know, in that article, but it was mentioned in that. Okay. So. so while they can't actually keep eyes on other angels and know where the hell they are, they apparently know where weapons are stored, because Michael has fallen next to a warehouse full of them. <laughs> he breaks into the warehouse, opens up this storage container... And it's just rows of, like, assault weapons and guns and ammo and it's gear. It's very split second. We're going up against God. We need guns. We need big fucking guns. <laughs> I went away. Split second is so much so better. <laughs> it's so good. You know, he takes the moment to patch up his back, leaves with two duffel bags worth of gear. This is where we meet the two disgruntled cops, Estevez and Burton, who come driving by, basically talking about uh, the city... In less than pleasant tones and like very twenty twenty one, yeah, <laughs> police officers M- mimicking like shooting the homeless to make the city better. Did you look up the racist cop where he was from? His face was familiar, but because their bits were so small, I didn't look it up. Yeah, he was the head of the other organization in WandaVision. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. So this is his first time working with Paul Bettany. Yep. And awesome. WandaVision was uh, at least the second and the much better one. <laughs> So, but yeah, no, his face was familiar to me too. So I went to look, you know, and look, this happens to me with literally everybody in films because I don't know what anybody the hell anybody was in, and I'm bad at remembering. So I, I did look him up, and yeah, he was in Wandavision. Well, they come to a squealing stop as basically a cross is blown out oh of the goddamn God. warehouse entrance. Very excessive and unnecessary. My note here is the crucifix hole is the dumbest shit. <laughs> there is a series of ballpark lines in my notes is blank is the dumbest shit. This is the first one. And in the script, it's just that he blows a hole. Right. There's just a hole. No, it is a crucifix. Okay. Let's, let's work this backwards. First off, it's a crucifix hole, which in and of itself is excessive and ridiculous. Like, what does he have? Like, some, like, celestial power that shoots cross-shaped energy bolts yeah. out? No. It's not even that he has his wings still, and he, it has to be, like, extra wide no. to walk through. No. <laughs> and then there's the fact that it's like, okay, well, if he's just, why is he blowing a hole in the first place? He's on the inside. Unlock the door and walk out. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a bar on it and a padlock. 
and then windows on either side where he got in by smashing through glass. He got in the first time. Get out the same way. It's not as cool. Oh my god, it's excessive. This is, dumb. This and it's is... a perfect crucifix in shape. It's like the sharp 90 degree angles. How do you blow any kind of hole in a 90 degree angle? But this is endemic of a lot of stuff we get, which is it feels very much like this is going to look so cool in the trailer. Yeah. And, and the same thing, which is, you know, you we got to sell this movie on Angels as the Villains. And we have this shot of Paul Bettany stepping through this oh. flaming crucifix shaped hole. So it kind of feels like it was retrofitted. Yeah. We're, we're about to get the shot of the lights going out, which we'll talk about in a second, which is the same thing. It's like, Weird and content, it's going to look great in the trailer. Oh, my God. But also, I mean, we know for a fact that Michael is a bit of a drama seraphim, so <laughs> why not? Like, everything he does is to heighten drama, like, you know, not telling people what's going on. Just get on the roof with guns, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go shoot a bunch of people that look normal, all right? You sound British, so I'm going to follow you anywhere, you know? I mean, it's... <laughs> it honestly, it was one of those that I groaned, but it was like... I did kind of like it because it tells you right up front what the fuck you're watching. Yeah. And sometimes it's okay when you have a mission statement. Like, here's a cross-shaped hole on fire. <laughs> Why well, I killed two cops. One of them is going to shake his head a whole lot in a second. It's like, all right, we're going to switch some shit off up here. <laughs> <laughs> the two cops draw on Michael. And at this point, we hear over the radio that an officer is down somewhere else. And Michael's basically saying it's starting. And this is to imply that this is not just going to be a localized event. This is happening everywhere. Which they never really come back to. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just a fleeting yeah. moment of that the apocalypse is starting. This is where he takes the one cop comes up on Michael, the Paul Bettany character, and he ends up pulling the guy's gun out and putting the, a gun to the cop's head. The other cop draws on him and is shouting, you know, let him go! And the other cop's shouting, you know, take the shot, Burton! And the other cop is, let him go! And Michael says, first you have to do the truffle shuffle. <laughs> Come on! Do it. Come on! Do it. Uh, and I say that because when people are possessed in this movie, they go, and they do the trouble shuffle. That's how the possession shit works in this movie. It's just people going, and your eyes go black. That's it. Yeah. Well, oh, it, makes sense. Sorry, it makes sense because when you're cramming, like, say that this is a schnauzer, you know, that is inhabiting this particular body, you know, it doesn't really fit. So you gotta. Jiggle, jiggle it in, in and get everything you know, <laughs> set up. Like, here's how that's described in the script. The street lamps begin to flicker and strobe, adding to the confusion. Burton squeezes his eyes shut in pain, and his whole body quaking, heels clicking the pavement, as if some massive pressure were building inside him. And with the horrific sound of cracking bones, Burton's mouth begins to twist into an impossibly wide smile, like a bizarre clown. There's exclamation point there in all caps, hence my inflection. His eyes snap open, focused, the force inside him now fully in control. Burton looks at Michael with a calm recognition, his voice guttural, inhuman. So they have this whole thing about like this distended, distorted smile. But what it is, in fact, is they put black contact lenses in him, and he has weird looking teeth, and then he just goes, er, and it just has this like slack-jawed expression. It doesn't look inhuman. Nope. It just looks doofy. Yep. Well, descended style makes sense, because like dogs have snouts. And if you grab the side <laughs> and kind of spread it out, it would be wide. It would be, you know, like a big oval, much bigger than a mouth if you kind of just went like that. So if you're fitting a dog in and just, you know, his yeah. snout, it makes sense that it have to send it smile. I'm going to run with this this entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Burton, now possessed, basically says, Michael, what are you doing? These aren't your orders. And Michael's like, I'm following my own orders now. 
Burton says, then you'll die with the child. At which point, Burton shoots Estevez, and Michael shoots down Burton, takes their car in the bags, and leaves as the lights in L.A. go out. Yeah, this is the trailer mm-hmm. shot of the car going down the street, and as he passes, all the street lights. And the script just specifies that the street lights are going out. The, the actual mm-hmm. finished film, you see all these you know, skyscrapers and all the lights going off. It's a cool image that makes zero fucking sense. All I heard in my head was Billy Joel's The Lights Go Down on Manhattan. That would be much I, cooler. I just always <laughs> love that when the power goes out in a city, it goes off sequentially. Down streets, not all at once. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> in line with the vehicle. Again, makes zero sense. It, it does look cool. Oh, like, sure. Looks great in the trailer. <laughs> so now we uh, see Jeep Hansen waking up from a nightmare. Jeep is played by Lucas, Lucas Black, Black from the American Gothic series, Sling Blade, and the Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. There you go. I want to make sure that last one got it in there. Tokyo Drift is underappreciated. <laughs> not even the only Fast and Furious guy in this movie. Nope. But I'm sure they can act in other movies, right? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen a ton of Lucas Black stuff, but he was okay I, as a kid. Yeah, what, I, what I've seen of his roles around this time, they were all kind of in this vein. Mm-hmm. Like, See, all right, let me throw this out there and we'll just get it up front. <laughs> so, first of all, character's name is Jeep. <laughs> He's a wrangler. And I like to think his, it was a nickname and his real name was Eugene and they somehow got there from Eugene to Jeep. Which is a Popeye reference if nobody gets it because I'm old as hell. I have a note that just says Jeep is a dope. Uh, I don't even remember what that was in <laughs> reference to. But it was another one of those things in the movie. Does, it's all through the picture where this guy is clearly kind of dumb, maybe a little bit racist and completely mediocre in everything he does. And the movies try so hard to make me root for him over all of these other kind of somewhat interesting characters. And it's just like, couldn't you just. Give me Tyrese Gibson's in this. Let him be the star. He's much better than this guy. <laughs> you know, Adrian Pilecki. She's, you know, got a personality. Charles S. Dunn's in it. Clearly, he should be, you know, in charge. But, you know, Paul Bettany, all the, you know, Jeff Bridges. Not Jeff Bridges. Huh? It's the other one. I always get him mixed up. Don't Dennis Quaid. Oh, I did. Dennis Quaid. What did you say? I would never have gotten there. I wanted there. to see how many actors we could go through. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I Jeff it. Daniels. I'm sorry, Bill Bridges. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bill Pullman. <laughs> Robert Ulrich. <laughs> Robert Stack. Susan. I wish I could say <laughs> that. Now you're doing it on purpose. Four yaks and the dog. <laughs> but no, I. All these, and they're all, you know, quality people. And I'm not saying this guy is a bad actor. It's just his character in this is just such a mediocre idiot. It's like, come on, I am not going to root for this guy. And it's just, the movie's like, yes, you are. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And it's this whole push and pull through the whole thing. Absolutely rooting for this guy to die halfway through this film. It's like, just kill him right up front. Be that movie. Give me somebody else. Even from scene one, they're trying to give him, as his name kind of implies, they want to push for doofy lunk innocence. Yep. With the character. The pure heart. But it comes off much more creeper. Yeah. Execution. When they, so, yeah, they, they just hobble it right from scene one. It was like, this is not having the effect you want it to. Nope. I know you'll never love me, but I want to raise your baby. Yeah, buddy, that's the kind of thing you get restraining orders for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and when Tyrese Gibson shows up, he's just talking to the lady. He's like, you okay over there? It's like, come on. You racist little shit. <laughs> yep. You know, and even, you know, he can't shoot scary-ass grandma in the face later. Who the fuck can't shoot scary-ass grandma in the face, man? She just ate somebody. <laughs> <laughs> 
She's not even running towards you. She's gliding. So she's moved past the uncanny valley into it's okay to shoot this territory. You know, <laughs> this is this is post crawling on the goddamn ceiling. When grandma crawls on the ceiling, it's all bets are off. I agree. You know, and this guy's like, I can't do it. I'm like, you are useless, and I hope an angel eats you. <laughs> and I hope it's like a Chihuahua angel, so it's really spiteful and mean. And it just it. it it makes me angry when a movie... It's like the Godzilla, the recent Godzilla, you know, where everybody in that movie is pretty cool, and the one that spends the most time with is just this absolutely nothing of a character. Oh, yeah. And this movie does it, too. And uh, yeah. The worst thing that movie did was get rid of Brian Cranston early. Yeah. But at least this movie named him Jeep, so I had jokes. <laughs> anyway, all right. All right. Oh, not about Jeep. There's a shot when he comes sure? out where you see the on the top of the roof, it's Paradise Falls. Yeah. And that, that was the only thing in this movie that legit got me a little bit excited because Paradise Falls is such a big location in Fallout 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's a desert. Paradise Falls. Hey, maybe this is, oh, no, wait, I've seen this movie before. And then I moved on. But it was like, <laughs> briefly, it was like, oh, this is Fallout. No, I liked the on the nose Milton part of it. I wish it had just been straight up like instead of Paradise Falls, they had the diner portion of this called Paradise Lost, but yep. then the auto shop was called Paradise Regained. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeep gets up, starts to stay early, runs into Charlie, who asks about his nightmares, and he apologizes for waking her. She's ah, you know, this kid was uh, really keeping me up as we she she is very, very pregnant. It was that big double trailer that they had two mm-hmm. doors on the end. Is that like a a split trailer? Like, these different apartments, and it's in the same trailer? I think so. It sounds like they're in the same trailer in the script. She has a line that's not in the finished film where she's basically saying, come back inside to the trailer. Not like they're, like, sleeping together, but that they're staying. No, they pretty clearly are not doing that. (laughs) It was even like they're sharing the same. And and that old-style trailer that they're in, you know, that old kind of rounded shape, it specifically calls out that style trailer in the script. You know, it's not actually defined in the film, but based on the way the relationship plays out, I get the impression it's probably his trailer and he's letting her stay with him. Yeah, probably. He's probably just walled off half of it so she can have it for her own personal space. Yeah, I would assume so. It was just, it was one of those things like, huh, wait, what? She calls him out early in the film, wondering why he's stressing so much about a girl who's eight months pregnant with someone else's baby. <laughs> You're the only thing I like to worry about. This is e- again. <laughs> <laughs> and he's basically like, you know, I'll be here for you. And she's like, that's nice. This kid's going for adoption. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to be here for anything once this is done. Yep. <sighs> and she's like, and just stop carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And they go into the diner. Later that day, we meet Bob Hansen, who's fiddling with the TV while it's playing It's a Wonderful Life, a movie about an angel trying to get his wings, the opposite of this film. How ironic. <laughs> so cheap. Uh, Bob is played by Dennis Quaid. You sure? Could be Bill Pullman, I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was Jeff Bridges. Dennis Quaid, who's been in such films as Beneath the Darkness, Pandorum, and Enemy Mine, and Movie 43. <laughs> Excellent selection. Excellent. If I recall, it's a beautiful film. <laughs> it is. Wonder Fred Shots, most beautiful movie of all time. Eventually, we're going to have to do that on this podcast. No. Because no, no. we've done like no, half the lines. No. No, <laughs> no. You can't say it doesn't fit the theme of our podcast. We're, we're, it is scary stuff. Uh, I, I will. <laughs> I will approve a bonus episode, <laughs> but I'm not doing a whole episode. It is horrifying. You know? Oh my god! 
We also meet Percy Walker, a cook with a crucifix, dog tags, and a hook for a hand. Which they show you in that order. Yep. This very tight <laughs> close-up. Crucifix, dog tags, metal hook. It's just super tight painting. It on. is like, basically everything you need to know about his history. Done. One shot. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> but it's Charles S. Dutton, yeah, so like... Just say, like it, just take a moment to Dutton. just appreciate... Charles S. Dutton. Who so, you may have also seen in Alien 3, Gothica, and Mimic. And more and importantly, Rock. rock. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Not even this Rudy shit, man. Rock. We're going to Rock with Charles S. Dutton. <laughs> he's, he's one of my favorite. Same. I love, you know, I love him and everything he's in. And when, when they just treat him like this movie treats him, it makes me mad at the movie. I, I did find an interview with him about this. And he was happy in the interview, so... I mean, good, I guess, but uh, <laughs> it was about the hand. He was supposed to get the hand about six weeks prior to filming so he could get used to using it and be more naturalistic, learn how to cook with it and things like that. And instead, he got it when he got to set. Jesus. So, that, yeah, that sounds about And it right. shows because he basically just sets it on his side. It's never used. It's never. Yeah. Like he said, he tries, but there's only so much he can do because he's just not used to using right. it. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, aside from the inherent coolness of being Charles S. Dunn, he's absolutely one of the best parts of this film. Amazing actor. If folks haven't seen it, he's also a great director. Go watch The Corner, the yeah. miniseries he did for HBO, which was the precursor to The Wire. It was also written by... David Simon, I believe Ed Burns as well, but Charles S. Dutton directed all of that. He doesn't, he appears as himself in a bumper at the start, but it's a terrific mini, and you'll get to see a lot of folks from The Wire before The Wire was started. It's where they met a lot of the actors. But you know, at the end of the day, he's an amazing, brilliant person who does amazing work. He can, he has a huge range. He's capable of anything. And this movie, his entire existence can be broken down to three parts. Let me talk about the Bible at you. This doesn't look like the Bible. Oh no, it's my Bible. <laughs> Pretty much. And that anecdote about his dad. Yeah. yeah. That's the extent of the character. It's a great shot with a frying pan. Also in the diner are the Andersons. We have Howard and Sandra with their daughter Audrey. Howard is played by John Tenney mm-hmm. from I See You, Night Visions, and the Stepfather remake. Sandra is played by Kate Walsh from 1408, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer Part 2, and Grey's Anatomy. And Audrey is played by Will Holland from Straw Dogs, Gossip Girl, and DC's Arrow on the CW. We then meet Kyle, who's driving towards them. He's played by Tyrese Gibson from the Fast and Furious franchise, Death Race, and Baby Boy. And completely wasted here. Totally wasted. But he does have that bonding moment with Charles S. Dutton on the roof for no reason whatsoever. (laughs) This is how Kyle's introduced in the script, talking about his vehicles. The stereo in this rig could shake mountains. Kyle Williams, late 20s. Handsome as hell, thug style. What the <laughs> fuck? Handsome as hell, thug style, a straight up bad boy. Oh my god. Well, I mean, the movie's racist. Why wouldn't it have to be? <laughs> now, I'll say that now a lot of, like I mentioned, a lot of the dialogue in this is, is unchanged from script to finished film, but Kyle's lines have been tweaked a lot, and they're worse in the script. So I really think mm. Tyrese was like, you got to give me some leeway to change this up so it's not, you know, as goddamn terrible. So Kyle pulls over to the diner since it's the last place for 50 miles per the sign. He sees Charlie and comments on her smoking while pregnant, which she kind of just says, you know, mind your own business. He's like, well, then can I bum one? (laughs) (laughs) She goes on buy one. He goes, I'll give you two after I buy a new pack. So she hands him one. She then looks at the map and confirms that he is very lost and not where he wants to be. So he goes inside for food and phone. 
small note on the bit with Kyle when he's talking to Charlie outside is this is where we get the bit where Jeep is walking by and has this very racist moment of seeing mm-hmm. Charlie talking to a person car. You all right, Charlie? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine, Jeep. And he walks off. But he's carrying an empty antique crib. And <laughs> I just wanted Kyle's line to be, you know, is that dude always walking around with an empty crib? Because <laughs> that's creepy as fuck. <laughs> this is some hills have eyes shit, man. <laughs> He's just wandering the desert. <laughs> so as she's coming in, Bob calls out Audrey in the smoking. Which, like, she calls him a hypocrite for walking around with that lighter. Which is, of course, Chekhov's lighter in this case. Mm-hmm. And he just basically just says it's a gift from his ex-wife. He keeps it around to remember he hates her. Kyle is about to ask for the phone when Howard interrupts everyone to complain about, you know, when will Jeep be finished repairing their car? Once again, just trying to solidify why they're stuck here. Bob goes to check on Jeep's progress of the car, finds him distracted with the crib. Bob basically tells him, you need to get over this. (laughs) This is not your lady nor your kid. Drop it. To which Jeep has the exchange where he talks to Bob about having these dreams about her. Some of them so bad, I wish I never had to sleep again. It's all red flag. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, oh no, 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 no. (laughs) This is, again, he's trying to be like doofy lunk innocence, but just the way it's constructed is just e. But yeah, Jeep then goes on to say that he feels like there's something he needs to do. Bob retorts going, you know, I had a feeling once I had to move out here. But guess what? I was wrong. Now I'm old and pissy. You should not let that happen to you. Get on up out of town and go do something worthwhile, not chasing after Charlie. But, of course, do that after you fix the car. So (laughs) back inside the diner, the TV's officially kaput. Jeep sees a storm coming from both sides. Bob fixes the TV only to find that the station is offline. This is when the apocalypse is officially starting to hit them as far as TV stations go, because they go to check the radio and it's dead, too. Not It's working fine, but there are no stations available. Not a one. Yeah, this is where they get all the emergency broadcast stuff and everyone's staring at the TV, super perplexed. Oh, Bob Holmes going, TNT supposed to be playing Christmas Story 24-7. Something's, <laughs> <fucked> <laughs> something's really wrong. <laughs> Every year. <laughs> On the phone, Kyle confirms he'll be in court tomorrow. He wants to talk to his son, but she won't let him. I assume this is his soon-to-be ex-wife, I'm guessing, from the conversation. But then the phone dies, too. The phone stops working. And everyone starts getting kind of worried. Like, what could do this? You know, there's an earthquake, terrorist. Bob's like, simmer down! (laughs) Just relax. Then, a car pulls up with the tiniest, wrinkliest little Q-tip you ever did see walking into the diner. (laughs) Yeah, the cue for this is it, is it cuts over to Jeep, who's working on, you know, Bob is inside telling the couple, you know, oh, Jeep's going to be done your car any minute now. And this shot of this BMW engine, this pristine thing, was Jeep is staring at like it's the monolith from 2001. <laughs> Coming, Dad, their car runs on some sort of foul sorcery. I don't know. About it. <laughs> in the element of that couple being rich is less present in the script. In the mm-hmm. script, it's a U-Haul they okay. have, and it's just they have a broken carburetor and they don't have the part. So it's a lot less. <laughs> this is clearly like BMW. Like, yeah, we're going to put our car in. Well, this little old lady is Gladys Foster. Played by Jeanette Miller from Four Christmases, Austin Powers, and Not Another Teen Movie. She does a good job of just being creepy, right? Yeah, she does. Yeah, she's one of the better parts of the film. Like, there Absolutely. is no part of her walking in there that isn't creepy. I feel in a different film, she'd have been perfection. But, you know, she does her perfect role as best she can for the film she's in. <laughs> so when I was in 
college, I used to work on the college paper and we put it to bed around two, three in the morning sometimes because I worked in the sports section and you get late stuff and big stuff happens. You got to kind of do it afterwards. And we would often, you know, after a big issue, we would like four o'clock in the morning, we would go to the only place open, which was a pancake house Hmm. down in Kenmore Square, which isn't there anymore. The pancake house, not Kenmore Square. And often when we would be in there, there would be this old lady who would sit in the corner, who's very quiet, and occasionally she would pull out a boombox and press play on it, and music would come out, obviously, and she would just start dancing around. She wouldn't really talk to anybody, dance around, she'd, you know, kind of wave as you, she dance by. I felt bad that I flashed to that when this lady <laughs> walked into the scene. <laughs> and was glad that I was never part of any prophecies or angel apocalypses, because that old lady was nice and she was fun dancing. And if she had tried to eat me, I would have felt very bad. <laughs> Did she also order her steak rare? <laughs> Never ate a single thing while we were there. She had a glass of uh, ice water on the table and just hung out. Because in this sequence, Gladys says, I already know what I want. And then she places this order for steak rare. Mm-hmm. Percy apparently hears rare and thinks rare equals defrosted. <laughs> because this thing has not seen an inkling of heat that he brings to her. <laughs> well, just time-wise, they get that steak out to her in like about a minute. Yeah, it makes sense. And there's no time rare jumps in the block. scene because, you know, she orders and immediately starts talking to the couple. Yep. You know, and then she gets the steak at him like, what, did you just throw it? You know, you <laughs> ran through a warm room. <laughs> you pull the one you dropped on the floor back out. You know, I mean, where are all the flies coming from? Are they coming from her? Because that makes no sense. I was going to eat this one, but fine. <laughs> and it's a huge goddamn steak. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like yeah. A porterhouse or some shit. Like if you've ever eaten in a diner, and you know, I have, and I don't get steak a lot because it's not usually on the menu in diners. But you're not getting the hungry man portion. Yes, there's, there's certain things you don't get to the diner, in my opinion. Like, for example, the lobster. Never get a lobster dinner at a diner at 3 a.m. in the morning when you're, like, not remotely on the coast. <laughs> no, at 3 a.m. in a diner, you get the same thing, man. Hash and eggs. Thank you. And I'll fight about that. That's what you get. <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, you can get pancakes. But you're not getting, you know... Fucking hamburger at that. It's breakfast time. It's 3 a.m., man. That's right. It's the only thing that's going to work in your stomach to process all that booze and drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so Gladys introduces herself to the Andersons. That's why they're there, and they say they're broken down. She commiserates. They ask if she knows anything. She says, no, no, no worries. It will all be over soon. <laughs> you know, Jeep comes in, tells Bob the bad news that he can't fix the car. It's just too fancy for him. Because Jeep is useless. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie comes over just to check on Gladys, and Gladys asks about the baby. And this is where we start hearing flies. I think this is kind of a telltale that something's up. Yes, because when you see flies, you think angel. <laughs> and not demon, but angel. She asks about the father. Charlie says, oh, he's not around. Says, That's too bad, because the baby's going to burn. <laughs> like, oh my god. And that immediately made me think of the encounter he must have had. In Carl's Jr. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the, that, the, this is the part the that probably actually happened. Because I yeah. could see someone being this much of an asshole. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And Charlie's like, what did you say? He said, I said, your fucking baby's going to burn. <laughs> I was like, woo. It gets really creepy. Everything from this point on is super creepy. The actress who's Gladys does a good job with this, in my opinion. She must have been one of them asshole dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie storms off. Jeep and Bob go up and say, what the hell's going on? And Gladys says, you know, all those little babies are going to burn. And everyone's starting to get riled up and pissed off. Sandra tries to talk to her. Gladys tells her to shut the fuck up. Howard goes to confront her for that. And she just kind of leaps up and 
mouth distends and rips his goddamn throat out. Now, at this point, this is where everyone in the diner reacts to, you know, this old age jumping up and taking this bite out of John Tenney's character. Mm -hmm. You guys remember what Percy Charles S. Dutton's reaction is to this? (laughs) His reaction is, shit. Not, oh, shit. (laughs) Not, oh, fuck. Just, shit. No. Kind of like not Isn't again. we seen this exact thing happen before? <laughs> yeah, that's the second time an old lady's bitten someone over an undercoat. <laughs> well, I mean, they they work at this diner right in the middle of the hills have eyes, so yes. it's not like it's <laughs> it's probably not that out of the realm of possibility. Oh, another fucking cannibal mutant, god damn it! Why does this always happen on a fucking Thursday? <laughs> John Hurt spaceballs. Oh no, not again! <laughs> That said, Charles S. Dutton does not fuck around. No, this is Iron Kabong, which is where the movie peaks. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I just have a note here. It's like Percy then clocks over the frame pan at ten paces. <laughs> yeah, he... And this should have killed this. It should have killed her because you start seeing the angels later and they start falling like tissue paper by the end of this. Oh, a bullet grazed me? Poink, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then this is, you know, frying pan to the head. She gets shot a couple of times. It breaks her neck. They yeah, they mentioned later that it breaks her neck. Yeah, Bob's like script, a, her head's supposed to be, yeah, like, at yeah. an angle. Like, more obviously a broken neck. But they have dialogue yeah. in this later where he's like, broke her neck. <laughs> and that should have killed her because there's no evidence in this that they are super-powered, you know, zombie mutants that can just keep going no matter it, what. It very much felt like this scene Like, look was... what happens with the ice right, 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 no, yeah. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> no, this scene 100% sets up the they should be super mutants. They right. can take a broken neck and keep coming at you, you know? It's... And we're in Paradise Falls. There should be super mutants. No <laughs> <laughs> <Go> more hiding. <laughs> but no, you're right. Later on, they just drop like flies. You're absolutely yeah, right. So she's like the toughest one. So they, I guess they sent in, you know, that she's probably... One of those Russian bear dogs, Ovechkas? She must have been an Ovechka. (laughs) At this point, she goes all sharp teeth, black-eyed, and acquires spider walk, and starts going up the wall and onto the ceiling. Bob tries to shotgun her, but she knocks him down. Jeep picks up the gun and fails to shoot her. Fucking Jeep. Right? (laughs) Like, it's just, it's so infuriating. Because once she eats somebody and crawls on the ceiling, shoot away, pal. You know, just swing away. Shooter blue. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't matter. Shooter there. blue. Just, oh. Like you saw that frying pan hit her and her head go crack. And her go, oh, well, that stung a little bit because I'm more powerful than every other monster in this movie. <laughs> and just, he's like, no, I can't do it because grandma is like, you are useless and I hope she eats you. But no, <laughs> saved by Tyrese Gibson who shoots her three times in the back. Yep. But there's enough of a pause where you're going, that's not how shotgun sounds. <laughs> <laughs> for, for half a second, it feels like it must have been uh, Jeep who did it, but no, no, it is not. Like Shotguns don't go bang, bang, bang. They go boom. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Kyle then comes up to try to help Howard with his wounds. Everybody gets Howard to his car. They start driving towards a storm. And the hospital's apparently 70 or 80 miles away. Yep. So this guy's doomed. That's when we start hearing the flies again. We realize the cloud ahead is not a storm, but a mass of flies flying at them. Which, again, flies not typically associated with your angels. So it's, I mean, biblical plague E. Yeah. But nothing else in this. Is, yeah. There's no frogs <laughs> or rain and blood. So it's like, oh, flies. Oh, I guess we're going to get this stuff because it's a, biblical. And then no fucking plague for no reason whatsoever. No. <laughs> These flies are here to keep you from driving away in one portion of this movie. 
That's it. That's, that's it. it. That's yeah, it. It's... That's the whole purpose. Even like mention it later, like where the flies go. I don't know. And then they never touch it again. It's like the flies leave, never come back, never explained. Maybe grandma was Beelzebub. So at the diner, Bob's confused how she got up after the frying pan hit. He's also worried about Kyle's gun, apparently. To just save you know, a person's life. But you know, hey, I was about to say he said what? <laughs> What's a guy do with a gun like that? Save your life. What he just did, Bob. <laughs> save your shit. <laughs> And then there's this whole scene, Jeep is throwing up. He's like, okay, son. He's like, I couldn't do it, Pa. I couldn't do it. And Bob's like, oh, son, I know you're useless. We- <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what he says, too. He's basically, you know, it's all right. You know, not everybody can pull a trigger. <laughs> <laughs> we just assumed you'd be in jail by now, Jeep. And here you are. Son, a man's got to know his limitations. In your case, you have all the limitations. <laughs> <laughs> The flies drive them back to the diner. Everybody comes back in, and Percy goes looking for his Bible. It smartly, I mean, it doesn't actually, it turns out to not be necessary, but I would have done this. Wrap up Gladys's body and take her out. Just they, they don't want her in the, the diner. Respect. But they make this comment about her, how her body is still warm. And that was neat to me, except it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. <laughs> and in the script, it's the reverse. She's ice cold. And uh, they're like, she shouldn't be cold. She hasn't been dead that long. So it's the inverse. Interesting. And this is where they have one of the one of the few lines in the movie I liked, which is Tyrese saying, you asking me to explain the behavior of a motherfucking pestilence? <laughs> which is in the line. Now, here is a rare bit where the script actually has a deleted scene that's worth reading that's not in there. And it's right after that line. So they're carrying Gladys's dead body out. Mm-hmm. And Kyle has the line, so you asking me to explain the behavior of a motherfucking pestilence? A clank. And Jeep notices the old lady's car keys have dropped to the ground. Jeep holding up the keys. You guys! Gladys is Cutlass Supreme. Its windows are completely caked with dust. The men wipe away a layer of brown from the glass, allowing them to peer inside the car. Bob, you see anything? Kyle, no Twilight Zone shit, if that's what you mean. (laughs) Jeep flips the key into the driver's side door, unlocks it. Bob, careful, old lady could have some kind of rabid poodle locked up in there. Jeep slowly swings the door open. No, the rabid poodle's locked up in her. Yeah. (laughs) Dog's heaven. Jeep slowly swings the door open, and that's when the smell hits him. Kyle, what the fuck is that? Bob covers his nose. Bob, Jesus. Kyle opens the passenger door, looks in. Dark, dirty, but nothing unusual. Kyle, nothing here. Jeep, how about the trunk? They go around to the back of the car. Jeep slips the key in. The trunk pops open, revealing a pile of dead cats. Rotting, oh God. maggot infested. What? Bob quickly slams the trunk closed. The guys are reeling with disgust. Kyle's trying to blow the stench from his nose. Kyle, bitches got motherfucking dead cats in their hoopty. What the fuck is wrong with white people? Oh, my God. Bob, at least now we know where that smell was coming from. Kyle, yeah, it was a real motherfucking necessity that we figured that out, man. <laughs> Jeep, see something up the road. Hey! And this is where Paul Bettany comes in. But let's, 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 let's hover on that for a second. Yeah, because <laughs> I mainly like it just for Kyle. It's this whole setup with the final punchline of Kyle going, yeah, it's my fucking necessity that we really figured that out. So that's kind of funny. All right, so let's say, we'll go back to the original premise. They're demons. All right. The demon with a weird dead cat fetish? I could almost run with that. Maybe. But dogs Possibly. and cats, man. But <laughs> these are angels who are specifically tasked with the destruction of humanity at this point. Which implies to me in this film, 
that this old lady was already transporting a large yes, number of yes, in yes. her <laughs> trunk before she was possessed. Yes, yep. They only died because she was no longer of sound mind and body to care for them as she had a mission at that point. <laughs> I would like to counter that argument with how definitively this proves my point that they're actually dog angels. <laughs> 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 We're here to wipe humanity off the planet, but we're going to start with the cats. <laughs> I feel so vindicated right now. I feel like I should take a lap around the studio. Yeah, it's a random gross-ass image. But yeah, that is that is one of the few deleted scenes that was notable enough. I figured I'd share that one. Oh, my God. So, yeah, as you said, the Los Angeles Police Department car comes rolling on up. Bob takes Kyle's gun as Michael gets out. Michael locks eyes with Charlie. Bob holds him at gunpoint and has to see his teeth, since apparently now we are identifying all problematic entities as being shark-toothed, even though she wasn't when she first walked in. But hey, you know, we can use that as a litmus test. Sure, yeah. why not? Speci- <laughs> specifically, what he says is, your teeth, goddammit, let me see them. Which is officially my favorite line in this movie. And is also, this how you greet all your customers? On Fried Fish Fridays, you're goddamn right. <laughs> you should see the steaks we serve. You're going to need them, buddy. <laughs> I, I am going to throw this out here just because Michael's back and this is Paul Bettany. This is our community connection. Hey! Um, just very loosely, Paul Bettany, of course, played Vision in WandaVision. And, yes. you know, every other Marvel movie with half of the, the cast of community. But specifically, in WandaVision, one of the other main characters is Randall Park. Randall mm-hmm. Park appears in an episode of Community playing Randall Park. <laughs> it's in the one where, in the last season, where Chang is auditioning for a Steven Spielberg film, and he says some shit, and he gets moved out, and they bring in the other Asian dude, and it's Randall Park saying, hi, you know, Steve, how you doing? So that's our community <laughs> connection, because I thought right. that was fun. Plus, okay. I like Randall Park. Yeah, he's quality. He's much better than this movie. <laughs> so is Paul Bettany, for that matter, but let's move on. Paul Bettany proving that he's currently, at this moment, not shark-toothing it. Which again doesn't mean sh- doesn't mean shit, and goes to show you that an actual angel could still get past that craptastic test since he is actually an angel, <laughs> but not a dog angel. But not a dog angel. So. They then ask his name and ask him to explain himself in the situation. Why are you here? You're a cop, right? You know who would be curious enough to steal a cop car? Which just seems in this scenario to be not the thing to say. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the TVs are down. Radios aren't working. You got weird people with teeth. You got swarms of flies. But stealing a cop car is your bar too high? <laughs> he, he must be a cop. At which point he's like, you don't know, do you? I'm running out of time. Bob pulls the gun again, and Michael just takes it from him like it's nothing and holds it to his head. Percy comes running and talks Michael down. Yeah, <laughs> Percy had been talking about, hold up, Angel, I called dibs on killing that man a long time ago. So get mine. <laughs> At which point, Michael looks behind him and says, they're here. Gives uh, Bob the gun, says, you'll need this. And they're like, who's here? And he just kind of looks at Gladys and goes, more like her. And then he proceeds to give them all guns. <laughs> tells Charlie to not do anything brave as the music intensifies. And they barricade the diner as the sun sets. Yeah, he tells her, don't do anything brave. Because obviously, there's no point in telling anyone in this movie, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> but this is, this again, this is a, you know, a drama seraphim moment. Where he just comes in, hands everybody guns, and says, let's go, and chooses to not explain a fucking thing and they all to do anybody. It. And they're all like, okay, I'm down to kill a bunch of people. <laughs> what? <laughs> let's do it. We already killed Grandma. Let's go on a rampage. But yeah, no, nobody says a thing. He's just like, let's go. And they're like, well, all right, you seem British. We're going to follow and do what you say. Pretty much. 
then the power goes out. At which point, Bob goes to the roof and asks, what are we fighting? But they are interrupted before you can answer by ice cream truck music. Oh. The ice cream van comes driving up. Michael instructs them to get ready. The van pulls up. And the man of the hour gets out. Doug Jones. Dougie. Dougie. You deserve better entrance music than Turkey in the Straw. Doug Jones, once again, is known from such glories as The Newly Deads, Mimic, Hellboy, and Night Angel. <laughs> I was going to be mad if you did say Night Angel. <laughs> I go out of my way to always mention films that we've already done if I can. Now, like we said earlier, this is maybe a minute's worth of screen time. Yes. But it is incredibly memorable. It's, it's like right from the get-go. Like the first thing you see is his hands kind of coming out of the van in almost like an insectile manner, kind of pulling himself up and out. Yep. They do just a little bit of kind of makeup on his face to give him kind of a degenerated, kind of almost like diseased look, mm-hmm. kind of slunken-eyed. And when... <laughs> I actually did like this a lot. All right. So first off, there's some blood on his leg. And he's looking around for them. Kyle says, he doesn't look so tough. At which point, (laughs) Doug Jones just kind of looks up at him, suddenly locks eyes. And Kyle's like, oh Oh, shit, shit, oh shit, oh shit. shit." (laughs) (laughs) Which is another one verbatim. It's three oh shits in the script. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. (laughs) That I appreciated because I'd be doing the exact same thing. At this point, yeah, this is where Doug Jones, if you've seen the trailer, this is you've seen this bit where his jaw goes, and has, he it gets like a solid foot. Yeah, it's Grave Encounters disease, where his yeah. jaw drops, and CG'd out, and then his limbs begin to distend, hands start dropping below frame, and the way they did this was they had uh, fiberglass shafts with a silicon exterior mm. that he wore, so he had his hands extended, and for the legs, he has prosthetic, he was wearing green pants okay so they could green screen out his actual ah. legs and he had prosthetic legs that kind of went out at an angle and connected to his actual feet nice so that's how they did there's a little behind scenes bit showing how they did it which is really fun to see but he's monstering out this takes like 15 seconds yep and the angel michael's response to this is <laughs> to hold up the gun and say get ready <laughs> Not shoot! <laughs> wait for him to finish, <laughs> and then and it's like, get ready is what you say when the fucking car is pulling up. Not watching this dude monster out. Don't shoot until you can see the wrists of his wrists. <laughs> so I actually have a quote from him on the monster. So this is Doug Jones from a film review online interview. And they asked him, "How do you get into the mindset of a character like this?" And I, I just wanted him to say, well, I delivered ice cream for a few months. And, uh, <laughs> but instead, he says, to get the ecosystem of a new creature, which is something I attack with every film I do, I think, what's the organism? How does he move and how does he work? My first couple of fittings for extensions at the creator shop for the ice cream man, I was really taxed and breathing heavily and thinking, oh, I'm going to die. So I got into very specific shape for this particular movement. And he does. He moves so creepily oh, and so perfect. cool. It's it's great. He, he, the, the, the amount of work and skill he puts into his acting with the, the body language is brilliant. He mentions in the behind-the-scenes stuff, they say, you know, how do you determine the movements and stuff for all this? He says, well, I go to my aerobics class, and then when the class is done and everyone clears out at the gym, I just stay in there and I'm in the, the aerobics room, which is mirrored on all sides. He says, so I just start shambling around. I'm nice. in a room with mirrors all over, and that's how he works on the physicality. I love it. I love it. It's funny. You know, we talk about how short this is and, you know, he monsters out, walks five feet, and then they just shoot the hell out of him and he falls that. dead. 
and it's so anticlimactic, but it's also the single most memorable bit of this movie. It's the most iconic part of this by a lot. And even when I was talking to Jen about it, she says, oh, yeah. And I said, it's angels. She says, no, it's demons. Like you saw the ice cream man where he does all this. And it's like the only thing anybody can remember from this is the ice cream man. Occasionally the old lady, but not really. Because you see that a fair amount. But the ice cream man is is the iconic part of this film. And I propose we stop. (laughs) (laughs) There's no sense to talk about the rest of this. We got to Doug Jones. He's our second favorite human. We should just go. Have a nice lunch somewhere. We can have a picnic. <laughs> we can do anything to talk about the rest of this dumb fucking movie. Yeah, it's been nice talking to the studio again. Uh, four weeks from now or so, episode 18 will be out. So, you know, we'll be like that. This is Eric's. <laughs> but the, the movie clearly peaks here. Yes. Like, this is the peak of the roller coaster. Except it's not like one of, you know, a sharp drop into excitement. It's a long, slow thing where it's a very, you know even legend it's not really a roller coaster at all as so much as you walking slightly downhill to skip ahead a little bit i feel it almost peaks again with the interactions between michael and gabriel i really like anytime they're together but half of them together is the action scenes which are for this type of movie dull as hell yeah Yeah, but that's the whole thing with the movie the movie is largely dull as hell yeah it's got a couple of spike moments, and everything else is just a bunch of stupid people standing around stupiding at each other. <laughs> <laughs> like, more so than your average found footage, at least eventually they make something happen in that. And this, everybody just kind of dies. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've hit the peak, <laughs> let's ride this roller coaster to the end. All right. Yeah. So this bit's really short, but it, it is one of the movie's more self-aware moments because the punchline to this is it's Kyle going, is that it? <laughs> after they shoot him. So, and after that is, is where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, this the fleet of cars, cadre of, yeah, <laughs> folks come up all doing the truffle shuffle. You all see it behind the mm-hmm. movie. Wild driving. That can't be safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the road, damn it. I'm transforming. Leave me alone. And, and what we see when it pulls up, it's all these people from different walks of life. You know, it's all these pedestrians getting out one's a little girl with a balloon the script is a little bit more over the top as far as people like it mentions like specifically there's an entire high school football team (laughs) (laughs) well here's the thing too so they wait until doug jones it's close enough so he's in like the kill zone and they can all take him out easy whereas the fleet of cars they're not actually there yet they're like Unleash! And they start firing and taking out, like, all their tires at, like, you know, 300 yards. It's like, what the hell? Also, he has a rocket launcher. He came in and explained nothing to them, and he handed them guns. Yep. He also would have had to carry that rocket launcher into the place. They would have had to have seen the rocket launcher prior to this. (laughs) So, yeah, Michael's got the rocket launcher. Cars are blowing up. Crashing spectacularly. Big and flashy. You know, people start getting out of the cars of all ages and types. They start shooting them down as best they can. It's good that they got the unlimited bullet guns, too. I know, right? But only one rocket. It's called... Get unlimited rockets, man. That's much smarter. It's called a duffel bag of ammo. You'll see it in most action films. As long as you have a duffel bag of ammo, you will never run out of ammo. It's like a bag of holding. (laughs) Even if it's downstairs. (laughs) Even if it's downstairs. As long as you feel you could get to it, Without being impeded, you have the access of that ammo. <laughs> you know, and it's good that all of these people are so willing to murder everybody at the behest of a British dude. Yeah. Work like on your thinks that's how the Revolutionary War almost went. Work on your accents. We're going to use this to our advantage later. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a hesitation for a moment. 
One comes crashing the window, and in the dark, it grabs Howard and tries to pull him out. They're pulling him back, but it starts bad-mouthing Sandra, and, and one of them grabs Charlie, and they eventually lose hold of Howard, and he gets pulled out. Why? <laughs> just, why would they do this? They have one objective. Why? <laughs> and especially for where the Howard stuff goes, which we're going to get to a second. It's like, wait, why? Why is it? it oh, my God. I hate it. <laughs> and they, they wave it all away. You made me do this, mommy. Oh, my fucking God. But, like, your basic question is, why don't they just storm the fucking place? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and then they wave it away. Oh, the baby has, you know, an aura that they can't get near. Right, just later. Yeah, that's not their problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not even a problem till then. Yeah, which also makes zero sense. But uh, grandma came in, no problem. All right, let's let's get to that. We're skipping ahead just a bit here. All right, so the premise of the film essentially is that God has given up on humanity, and so God has instructed the angels to go forth and be my apocalypse. Michael has come to Earth to protect this child that is supposedly the key to stopping the extermination of humanity. The savior of, of humanity, essentially. Yeah, it, the yes. script specifies that it's the second coming of Christ. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So there's actually a deleted line, so we're, we, in a little bit we're going to get the bit where Michael actually gives the exposition dump. Right. There's a deleted line in there where he says all this, and Charlie laughs it off and says, no way! And then Michael's just staring at her like I'm being dead serious. And Charlie says... Jesus Christ. And Michael says, exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> so that it is, it is, it's implied in the film as Savior of Mankind, but it but, could be like a John Connorsy thing. The script is very specific. It is the second coming. Yeah, and in the sequel, he's absolutely going to be played by Eddie Furlong. But let's be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So God has hit the plunger on the toilet of Earth, essentially, you know, just kind of descending to like flush all of humanity. But you know what? While I'm at it, I'm going to put this kid in her that is the second coming. Because Jesus, by the Christian faith, is God, a part of the Trinity. You know, three separate, yet one the same. So God is killing all humanity while making the Savior to save humanity. Make up your fucking mind. <laughs> that alone makes no sense. In fact, the only thing that remotely makes sense, and this is, again, me making shit up, because I can do a better job at this than they can. <laughs> Where I would assume most people could. It's like, the only way this works is God has nothing to do with this child. Well, if God has nothing to do with this child, then what's the point? And later on, we learn that this kid was never supposed to be born. So is Michael screwing the timeline by allowing a child that was not supposed to be born to be born, thereby creating different potentials and possibilities, mm -hmm. and therefore set, going to God, going, look, now things could potentially be different. You can't flush it. It has hope now. <laughs> you know, that's, that's like the closest way I could get to rationalizing this. And it still doesn't work. <laughs> this is one of the prime examples of, it was originally demons. Well, we're going to make them angels. It's, if you're going to do that, mm -hmm. you can't just find and replace. You no. can't just control F, find <laughs> angels and replace with demons. Because there's then, you know, if it was demons, this makes sense. Right. If it's angels, you have to retrofit it more. And it has to be the Antichrist. Yes! Yes! <laughs> then, yes! Angels trying to take out the Antichrist who wants humanity to live so we're going to have more like lost souls. That would have been a neat idea. Yeah. If but, you were to rework it like your entire concept of angels and, and their moral alignment or something right. was, was different or something like that. Again, you would have to rewrite this from the ground up 
to do what they're trying to do. There's just too many fundamental. And instead it comes off as God being like, I'm going to screw all of you. But, you know, I can't really do anything without an escape clause. You know, <laughs> I got this, you know, I'm required. So let me just throw this over here. No, guys, go kill this kid for me. I had to make it. Can you just clean up this up for me, please? So I, I just made myself laugh because I was thinking about, you know, the kid is Jesus. And the main star is Jeepus. <laughs> so just name him after Jeepus. Jeep, it's Jeepus. <laughs> it's Jeepus, son of Jeepus. <laughs> <sighs> So yeah, I got only a little bit ahead of the game here because you know at this point Michael reprimands Charlie for being a little too brave. They're like, "Now nah, you got to tell us what the hell's going on." And Michael says, "You know, the last time God lost faith in man, he sent the flood. This time, angels." Percy asks, "Is it the apocalypse?" He goes, "No, it's an extermination." I ask, "What's the fucking difference?" Percy immediately like just says, no, "You're wrong, Michael." <laughs> I've read the yeah. Bible. You're wrong. Yeah, Percy has the line. He said, you know, in, in my book, the angels are the good guys. The finished film, Michael's line is, "Well, well, in reality, isn't that simple?" The script, Michael. Michael says, that's where your book is wrong. <laughs> so, again, it, it was one of those, if you had established, like, everything you think about the way angels work is wrong, that'd be one thing. But the movie doesn't do that. Ah. This is the point where Michael admits that up until yesterday, he was on their side. He's an angel. Bob's like, bullshit, I don't even believe in God. Michael's response is, that's okay, he doesn't believe in you anymore either. I like that line, because typically, it's, here, that's, it's like the stand, like, that's okay, he believes in you. Yeah, in this case, like, he thinks you're a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, like. The amusing twist there, it's a little thing, but I liked it, was, in reality, the roles are switched, with Dennis Quaid being actually a devout Christian, and Paul Bettany being an atheist. So, <laughs> so Bob's trying to tell everybody, you know, this is crazy, and Percy's like, is it? Look outside for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, we're long past, the, look, this bothered me. He's like, this is crazy. This can't be really what it is. You just went up on this roof and shot a bunch of motherfuckers at the behest of that guy. And now you're going to argue with him? <laughs> no, no, no. Those people I killed down there were totally innocent humans. They better have been. Like, Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> if he's wrong, this end works out worse for you in a lot of I, I gotta tell you, Bob, I don't think that's gonna fly in court. <laughs> Which just makes me think Bob was absolutely ready to kill a bunch of people yes. at the moment's notice. Yep. This whole bar, you know, everybody in here is like, oh, I guess it's killing time. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, brings me back to this being in the hills of eyes, hills have eyes land. And Percy not reacting to somebody getting eaten. So this is where Michael admits that he's only here to protect Charlie because her child is the only hope for humanity. She's like, but I'm nobody. He says, you know, the child lives or mankind dies. And at which point they're concerned that the baby's still a month out. And Michael's like, eh, no worries about that. It's coming soon. And Michael's like, you know, we can talk or we can get ready. You know, the last time they tested our strengths, next time they'll test our weaknesses. Something much worse is on the way. On the roof, Percy has this talk with Kyle about the gun. Ugh, I hated this fucking scene. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, let's have the old black guy talk to the young black guy because that's not racist at all. And I'm clearly a progressive human being right in this film and yeah. just... And then the whole Charles thing. S. Dutton busting out tears in this scene, man. Yeah. <laughs> like waterworks yeah. for this awful fucking. And this is an awful anecdote about his dad. So you might die. So be grateful. It's like Jesus Christ! Oh my God! I was just I have to throw it here. Yeah, I, uh, he's like every night. Percy's dad would say to him, "If you don't wake up tomorrow, if today is your last day on Earth, would you be proud of what you've done in this life? If not, you better start getting square." And you know while that sounds inspiring. 
Yo, that's some fucked up shit to say to an eight year old man. I'm just saying, you know. I mean, if, if you're you dead, die tomorrow, are you gonna be happy with your life? If like, your <laughs> dad is the goddamn dread pirate Dutton, I mean, that's just not right. <laughs> yeah, if you die, Percy, I'll most likely kill you. <laughs> no wonder Percy's, you know, working in the diner and just absolutely ready to kill motherfuckers on the drop of a hat. <laughs> We have a quick scene with Bob cooking a steak and having a smoke. And I'm going to tell you right now, if it's the apocalypse, I'm going to start smoking again, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, why Instantly. Yeah. <laughs> They're angels. They're inhabiting people. we got to kill a bunch of people. Hold on. Can I have one of these? <laughs> yes, you know? And this scene is kind of a completely throwaway scene. Really just goes to show you that he still has the lighter and that Sandra is actually breaking down. Yeah, it feels like there'd be more exposition here, but there it's is not. It's, even in the script, it's not. It's, it's a waste. Just, uh, Jeep asked about what was Michael Pryor. He said, a soldier in God's army. I was say, ironically, in heaven, I was a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> I could have fixed that beamer in no time flat, you idiot. <laughs> He's like, you know, why did you leave? And Michael says, I was given an order I didn't believe in. You know, God lost his faith, but I didn't. And he's like, well, why did you lose your faith? He goes, when God shows your kind as the object of his love, I was the first in all of heaven to bow down before you. My love, my hope for mankind is no less than his. I've watched you trample that gift. Kill each other over race and greed, dust and rubble, and words and old books. And yet, in all this darkness, I see people who will not give up, even when all hope is lost. People who realize being lost is so close to being found. You stand by your father. Love a woman who not love you. You are the reason I still have faith. Oh, which, yeah. you know, would actually be a pretty great monologue if it wasn't about fucking Jeep. <laughs> and he says, oh, you, so... In the script, that scene is much shorter. Like, there's a bit about what'd you do in heaven, and then instead of the why did you rebel, Jeep says something like, so what's coming next for us? And, and Michael has a line that says, sometimes you can only face what you fear most by looking it in the eye or something like that. He has some line that basically, about, you know, you have to stand your ground and face what you're afraid of. Right. So all that stuff about the Michael speech about humanity isn't in there. So that was, wow. I'm, I'm guessing, is like Paul Bettany saying, no, I need a scene... You know, yeah. And conceptually, look, like my favorite scene of the first Hobbit film, which has a lot of problems, but that scene where they're like, you know, why Bilbo Baggins? I don't know. Saruman believes only power over evil faith, but I believe. And he has the whole thing about, <laughs> you know, simple acts of kindness. And whatnot. I am a sucker for that right. shit. And I love that concept that, you know, the, the, the simple gestures of humanity are what makes us worth saving. Right. But him counting it in Jeep. Is like, <laughs> what? And because he's like, yeah, you refuse adamantly to acknowledge that this woman is not interested in you. You do the bare minimum of not abandoning your father. And that is like, that's what's worthy of praises. I had to watch this scene twice because the first time I couldn't hear it from banging my head into the desk over and over and over again. It's it's because again conceptually it's great, it's great. Yeah, and it's like yeah, Paul Bettany really puts his heart into it. It's well delivered. Everything about it should have been great, but, except it's delivered to this nothing of a character who does nothing but be annoying and creepy and a little racist and awful throughout the like. This is your hero. I'm like no, it fucking isn't. We now see. <laughs> You Jeep is the reason I still have faith. Are you the dumbest angel uh, on earth? That was what I wanted the follow-up line to be. was just Jeep goes out to Bob and he tells Bob, man, angels are stupid. <laughs> we now have a flashback scene with Michael talking to Gabriel. And I love, honestly, all the interactions with Gabriel. I'm a big fan with uh, Kevin Durand. I like, I like the actor. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Durant gets his dramatic reveal where he's in like darkness yeah. until he steps forward into this shaft of light. And this is another scene which conceptually I like it. 
But it's the dialogue is just a little clunky. Is you know, why does your heart do this? Because he made this one, and he's you know chapping his chest. <laughs> but also we're noting none of this is in the script, and there's a very specific reason for it. Really? Yes, because the outcome of the Michael Gabriel stuff is very different in the end. So none of this stuff Ooh. is in the script. We'll talk about that yep. later. Yeah, well, not in the comic <laughs> either. The comic it's Uriel and uh, another angel arguing about rebelling against God. Hmm. Well, real quick, Kevin Durand has also been in such things as The Strain. Resident Evil Retribution, and Dark was the night. You know, and Gabriel's like, you know, who are you to question God? And Michael's like, you know, I can't help it. I love them. That's not going to change. Gabriel says it's our place to obey. And Michael basically says, do you want to be the son who gives his father what he asks for or what he needs? Which is really the crux of this entire argument here. But man, what is this King Lear shit in this? It just doesn't work. (laughs) Man's got a spinning mechanical mace. I mean, it's just... It's impressive! It, like, reshapes itself and changes to, like, you know, fit whatever configuration he needs at a given time. I like it. Come morning, we learn that Bob has fallen asleep on watch. Sandra wakes up. She hears Howard. She goes out back to uh, try to follow the noise. She sees him outside, where he is hung upside down, crucified, covered in boils. The angel's turning Howard into an IED... I actually am okay with that. All right. <laughs> it's twisted. It's weird. But, you know, you got abilities. It's unique. Yeah. Are, are yeah, oils a biblical plague? Yeah. So, there's, right. There's, 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 it's, it's in their arsenal. This works. But the upside down cross has always been kind of a mockery of the sacrifice of Christ for humanity. But again, Christ is God. So why are the angels, who are servants of God, mocking their own Savior? (laughs) It makes no sense. So, of course, Sandra sees her husband in pain. She tries to get to him. You know what Um, you do in that situation? You slam the door behind her. (laughs) (laughs) That's Funny enough, if they had done that, things would have been a lot easier down the rest of this movie. Yes? (laughs) Why is this? (laughs) (laughs) So... They try to stop her. First, he runs out to grab her. He pulls her away, just as Howard bursts with an acidic pus bomb. Yeah. You know, so Percy has turned his back to the blast, so Sandra's fine. But when we get inside, we learn that the entire back of Percy is just, like, melted away. And as he falls to the ground dead, you can see his spine. It's pretty grody. And it's where I checked out of the movie almost completely. It's like, <laughs> you're, you're going to give him a bad death? Fuck you, movie. Yeah, I just, it, you know, you knew he was going to get a bad death because this is absolutely the kind of movie that gives people stupid deaths. But he saves this person for no reason. She's not helpful. You know, you're sacrificing your life and you're clearly more useful than she is at this point And just, you know, the problem is, is it basically sets him up as the Bible wielding faithful individual who is worth being saved. But the problem is then it should have been him that lived and took the role from Jeep because he would have been perfect for that. Just Charles S. Dutton and Charlie going off into the horizon with Baby in tow. He'd have been amazing. I would have demanded sequels. Yes! <laughs> I don't watch, I don't watch <laughs> Dominion. <laughs> so, Bob leaves himself falling asleep. Sandra's tied up. Audrey gives her bill to help. Sandra takes this moment to blame Audrey for them being there in the first place because she's the worst mom ever. I didn't quite get why she was tied up. Because they didn't trust her to not go outside? Because to save her now dead husband again? Just, she went outside once, they can't trust her anymore. It just seemed like, it's like, she wasn't inhabited, she ran after her dead husband, died, guy died doing it. Feels like she would have learned her lesson, but... I think they just saw her as a liability. I just, it just seemed like a stretch having her tied up. Like, it's just... I, anyway. It was unnecessary. Yeah. On multiple levels. It was confusing. 
I thought. So, Audrey and Kyle uh, try to find a working radio station. They find one. Apparently, there are now several militias near Las Vegas and other areas that are fighting back. And everyone's tempted to leave and join up, but Michael says it's too late for that. It's too dangerous for the baby. Charlie is feeling the weight of the situation on her, admits to Jeet that she almost had an abortion, but then she kept having this feeling of desperation, kept thinking this is what death feels like. When they called her name, she just ran away. And every time she felt like going back, the same thing would happen. It just made her hate the child because of this entire, you know, the inability to relieve herself of the situation. Well, they, they imply a couple of times in this that there's compulsions that put them here. Yes. Like that they were meant to be here. Mm-hmm. So, which makes perfect sense because if God's trying to wipe everybody out, he would absolutely force people into a situation where it wouldn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Through through prophecy and compulsion. God is playing 5D chess with himself. And and it has to be God because even even Michael, who's trying to save the baby, said, yesterday I was ready to kill it and today I'm not. So this was... Bob talks about he was compulsed, you know, he felt a compulsion to buy this diner out here in this awful, godforsaken nowhere. So it's like, it's very much implying that all of these things were meant, we were meant to be here. This was all... Except the person who would have done that is the one trying to kill the baby. So it it is. It always feels like God is like, you know what? Eight months ago, I had this plan in place. You know, things are getting kind of bad down there. I want to give him a savior. We'll see if we can clean some things up. Maybe have like a second coming, get things rolling in the right direction. You know what? Eight months down the line. You know what? I could wait another month, but God damn it. Fuck you people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, Jeep and Charlie talk about how, you know, still spared there. She doesn't know why. Stop having pity on me. They, they leave. Audrey tells Kyle her mom is right. They're moving because of her. Kyle says the only time I got attention from my dad was when I was bad. So I got really good at being bad. Yeah. Two quick notes on this sequence. The scene with him and Audrey, this heartfelt sequence. A, I'd have laughed so hard if Kyle gave her the exact same speech Charles S. Dutton gave him. <laughs> like, he immediately repurposes it. You know, you know, my dad, every time I went to bed, he's like, that was a good speech. I'm going to use that. <laughs> and it just does line for line the same thing. But also, here's this bit in the script. So Kyle, and, and the dialogue I'm about to read is in the finished film. Kyle, the only time my old man ever paid attention to me was when I was doing something bad. So you know what I did? Audrey. What? Kyle. I got really good at being bad. She smiles at this confession, can obviously relate. He wipes a tear from her cheek. She leans in, kisses him, passionately, desperately. His hands Uh, trace over her body. She claws at him, her passion growing out of control. She's practically devouring him. Kyle can barely keep up. It's like something else beyond sensual need has taken over. What the hell? She moves down his chest. Further. Kyle leans his head back. Further. Just then, the spotlights that illuminate the roof sign come to life. And they're interrupted, and have, then it plays out. Have we not already so, established that this is a, divor- a man getting divorced with a child, and she's like 16? What the hell? <laughs> and I think the script describes him as being a little bit younger, but still. Oh, my God. And, and particularly the way it's written. It's <laughs> so like, I'm like oh, uh. this and I was reading this, I was like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. But it's cool, because then the 18 van pulls up. Yeah, the power goes back on, and they don't know why, but it gets tense. And the car pulls up. The man gets out of the car and tries to get gas. Just then, more cars come circling in. They theorize that the lights were allowed to turn back on as bait to lure in this man and child. And now they're coming in for the kill. Kyle and Audrey uh, try yelling them off, which you think... 
they're, they're yelling <laughs> from the roof. They are maybe 20 feet from these people, all right? There's don't no hear way they don't hear them. They could hear the ice cream man music half a mile away. But they can't hear... Oh, the people yelling 10 feet from me are yelling at me. Oh. But anyway, so they finally notice the gunfire. The guy tries to get in the car. He is hit by another car and goes down. Angels circle around, pull the kid out of the car. And Kyle hops down because he's a good guy. He's going to try and save the day. He's shooting them on the way to the kid. You know, Bob starts unbarricading the door. And Michael's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Draws a gun on him and says, you put that back. <laughs> Kyle finally gets the kid. And he's holding off the angels. That's when the kid starts singing. Very creepy like. In the most predictable twist of all time. I know. He's like, Fuji. And then bites <laughs> down. You know, I mean, it's like. It, it's dumb enough that you don't even feel bad for him. It's like, you just got what you deserved. Come on, man. Like, all of this. Uh, <laughs> it's just yeah, so yeah. awful. So, Audrey, though, having a connection now with Kyle, comes down trying to save him. She ends up getting stuck in the car. Charlie basically tells Michael, you got to get out there and help or else. Yeah, because Angels can only break some windows. <laughs> <laughs> She's basically like, you know, you don't want me going out there, so you best go take care of this. Yeah, so, I love him begrudgingly saying, all right, and picking up the guns and, and open the door. <laughs> and what he does is he goes out and he starts opening fire. I really want him to be like, all right, I'll go out there, opens the door. One shot's Audrey from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw the problem. <laughs> she quietly shut the door. <laughs> that would have brilliant now, doesn't it? <laughs> I was impressed that this was the only time that guns ran out of bullets in the entire movie. But it, it, it doesn't, though. It's It's... So he he goes out with the assault rifles, two of them, big, large clipped weapons, takes maybe three shots total between the two of them, and then throws them to the ground and immediately goes into melee. It's like, what are you doing? You should have taken out like easily like 10, 20 people with these things before dropping them. <laughs> then he grabs the gas pump. Drops on top of the roof, and we get the. Well, I kept thinking of the line from UHF. You get to drink from the fire hose because he lights the, pumps the gas and shoots the gas to light it on fire. Which is definitely how that works. Exactly how that works. It makes for a fun visual of the overhead shot of him, you know, spewing, using this thing like a flamethrower. You know, it's dumb as hell, but. What's more efficient than that? The M16 he leaves the building with. Yeah! It, oh. I don't even think it's actually possible. I think you can only ignite gasoline fumes. You can't ignite gasoline. Like, it, it, would, it wouldn't work. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. Of course it wouldn't work like that. <laughs> None of this. Oh, it's so frustrating. So, yeah, he saves Audrey, brings her back to the diner. And while they're trying to put Michael out, because he's actually on fire, somehow this kid has magically teleported into the freaking diner. Like, they came yep. in, closed the door behind him, but the kid's inside. Wait. What? With a knife. Yep, With a knife. And then the kid comes swinging at Charlie, somehow chops off his own thumbs. I didn't... Did anybody see how that happened? No, is her. She's holding up the metal tray to block the attacks. Knife down, knife down, knife down. Suddenly the knife attacks stop, and you look up at the kid, and he's missing two thumbs. I'm like, what just happened? No, yeah. it was very confusing. And they don't explain... It. That happens in the script, but they don't explain it. They just say, you know, he's stabbing, stabbing. He stops stabbing. She pulls the tray down and the kid's staring where he used to have thumbs. So I think maybe this is being charitable is they realized there's only so much violence we'll probably able to get away with on the kid. Yeah. So we probably won't be able to... Because they don't show the kid... They don't show anybody dying, dying either. Yeah. 
like they, they fire off camera and we we're left to assume that the kid got shot but they don't show it that's also in the script it just he says, oh they fire and then I, oh. so i my guess was they were hedging their bets and saying no, oh, we're only going to do so much maybe they talk to an mpa person what can we do to this kid yeah thumbs all right the only thing i could conceive of was the angel inside the child didn't understand the body's limitations so it was just whacking too hard of the knife and it slid down the blade and took its own thumb off you know I'm like yeah. it's the only thing that makes sense well, i mean if you're a wiener dog in a human body it's probably confusing <laughs> especially if you have to wield gear <laughs> And yeah, then Michael jumps over, kicks him away. The lights go out, they shoot at him, and he's gone. That's it. That's it. That's yeah, all. He just disappears. Yeah. It's it is not the most confusing for me, but the most infuriating scene for me by far. <laughs> so yeah, they're trying to find the kid. <laughs> I got a little MSF here. They follow the blood trail, the ceiling. It jumps Bob. They fling it off and take some shots. At which point, Charlie starts going into labor. Michael and Audrey are helping with that while Jeep and Bob play guard. That's when we hear the horn of Gabriel. I think it blows three times over the course of the film. Lightning illuminates an army of these things are still out in the mists. But that's when we hear the baby crying. At this point, you know, the baby's alive, born, crying. Michael's just kind of amazed and in love with it, which makes sense in theory, because if this is the second coming, this is the Lord Savior that Michael's been serving and loving, you know, his entire life and existence. So it Jesus makes, Christ, it would, make, it would make sense he would look upon this child with awe and love and respect. That's great. I love it. Charlie does not want to hold the child. Audrey takes the baby away. Shows the baby to her mom. Oops. Sandra like goes, oh, you know, I apologize for earlier. We're cool, right? We're <laughs> just you and me now. Come back to Charlie. He's like, yes, Michael, we safe now? He's like, no. But now the <laughs> child has a chance to lead the world out of darkness. But, you know, you need to show him how. She wants to ask, uh, why would I want to do that? You take him. And he's like, unfortunately, this is your journey now. The angels outside hear the call. Why? <laughs> The angels outside hear the crying, and it pains them. It's clear that the child is affecting them, and they are just all kind of frozen in place. Gabriel's Makes total horn. sense. Gabriel's horn blasts again. Michael says, get ready. The majority of the hosts cannot approach the child. Doesn't explain why. Just says they can't. So they're sending someone who can. A higher level angel, much like Michael. Here comes Gabriel. Not one of them dog angels. This is the point where Michael admits it was his job initially, his orders, to kill the child, though he refused. This is where it gets a little confusing, where basically Michael's like, you know, the baby was never destined to live. He know? does he does say that, right? It was yeah. my order to kill the child. But in the beginning, he says, I'm following my own orders now. Well, it seems like you were then, too. <laughs> <laughs> you just changed your orders. <laughs> you know, since Michael didn't let the baby die, the baby's now a variable and the future's unwritten. You know, he's created hope. It's very loose. It's like, don't think about this. Keep, just keep moving. At which point, Sandra grabs the baby. It's very clear that she's like... Get you know, ready to throw a fastball out of that crap. <laughs> <laughs> like a scene from Mother, man. <laughs> Sandra realizes basically that they're here for the baby, so she's just going to give them the baby, and then they'll be fine, right? At that point, the door is ripped open, with light behind it, you're assuming Gabriel. Michael shoots Sandra out the door, and as the baby falls, Jeep catches the baby. Jeep's one saving grace in the whole film, he can catch a baby. That, that's, that's his superpower. So... <laughs> Gabriel walks in like he owns the place and starts swinging this massive morning star Jeep and the baby. Bob tries shooting him, but Gabriel does this wing shield spin that he finishes up with a wing slash across Bob's belly and knocks him aside. Michael holds back Jeep and tasks him with saving the baby. Tells him to find the prophets 
and learn to read the instructions. Yeah. Find the prophets. Jeep goes to the cash register. Not those prophets, you dumb motherfucker. What a PH, idiot. Jeep oh, you mean prophets. <laughs> oh, you mean prophets. <laughs> learn to read the instructions. I don't know how to read English. <laughs> I can't read the menu. <laughs> You're asking an awful lot of Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we also as the fight begins. This is where we get the shots of like the, the spring action mace stuff, mm-hmm. which is it, it, one of the exchanges. Well, first Michael. we have the exchange. Yeah. Well, this is how the exchange is. Is Michael, join with me. You don't need to do this. There's another way. A beat. Then Gabriel's expression hardens. Gabriel, there is no other way. He pulls back from Michael, raising the mace. Shing. Long, deadly, sharp spikes burst from all its sides as if it wasn't badass enough. That's how it's written in the script. <laughs> Jesus. And the fight begins. Like I said, a lot of the script directors are like, and then? <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeep and Charlie are leaving at the back. The hosts kind of surround them, but make room as they leave, heads bowed, unable to react. Michael says, Gabriel, you're so eager to please. He says, you're the rebellious son. Gabriel says, hey, you removed your wings. He goes, it's a dream not to feel their burden anymore. And Gabriel asks, you know, do you think you can defy him and not pay the price? He's like, well, the child lives. My fate no longer matters. Gabriel's like, it's a fool sacrifice. They will not escape. That's when Michael puts his hand on him and says there's another way. So I love this moment where, like, they're, they're like, clasped hands and looking at each other. And, like, Gabriel actually looks pained. Gabriel has zero intention of changing his intentions or what he needs to do. But it's very obvious that they are brothers and that they do love each other. And Gabriel does not like what he's about to do, but has no choice. Again, this is one of the few other parts of the film I really liked. Anytime we have Gabriel and Michael interacting, I was a big fan of those moments. Yeah. Until they start fighting. At which point, <laughs> unfortunately, the scene continues. Yeah. They prepare for battles, lots of shooting. Gabriel uses wing shield. Gabriel spin slashing. Michael dodging. Gabriel takes his gun out. Michael's up with some punches. They mess each other up bad. Michael tries to choke Gabriel out, but Gabriel takes his Morning Star, puts it up against his shoulder. A lance shoots out of the Morning Star through his shoulder and into Michael's heart. Michael falls dying. And Gabriel says, you wanted to live like one of them, now you can die like one of them. Michael. Nah, man, we don't dissipate. Michael does. Michael dissipates. <laughs> because he's not he's not dying like one of us. Yeah. We don't turn into smoke. <laughs> so a note on that. In the finished film, like you mentioned, he said, now you'll die like one of them. Is Michael's angelic tattoos fade away, yep. and they reappear on Jeep, and Jeep sees these tattoos appear. The prophets! And then Michael dissipates. Not in the script. In the script... The tattoos disappear as Michael has been injured, but Gabriel stands over Michael with the mace, and there's a slightly different line. So in the finished film, the line is, you wanted to live like one of them, now you'll die like one of them. The original line is, you wanted to live like one of them, now you'll feel what it's like to die like one of them. And then he brings the mace down and smashes Michael and kills him. Oh, sure. Michael does not come back in the script. Good. Because when he does it, brings much it makes more sense. so much more sense. Gabriel kills my and Michael is dead as well. He should be. Yeah. So oh. there is no dissipation. It is oh. Gabriel goes out in an entirely different way in the finale. That is so much better. Like that, I said, that's that my biggest main point with this film because there is so in the, in the script there is no God changes his mind moment. Well, it's not in the movie either, but there is. There's the yeah, but then he sends Michael back and is we'll like, all right, about go that, down yeah. there and do my shit, Michael. But there's none of that. Oh so basically, God. things are still set in motion as they were. 
in the original, so it makes a lot more sense. The comic implies that God changes his mind, too, and the angels are going to rebel. But the problem is there are five different ways this goes, and none of them are right. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so, yeah, Michael Despates, Gabriel cries, and with Michael's death, like you said, Jeep's arm gets all the instructions that he mentioned on his arms with the tattoos. Gabriel's checking for final survivors in the diner. Bob is kicking just long enough to light the gas stove up and blow the entire place to kingdom come, taking out everyone in the vicinity, supposedly. <laughs> but not, as we'll learn in a minute. As the survivors are driving off to the militia, Gabriel lands in the car and starts tearing it open. Jeep knocks him off with a shot. Audrey ricocheted. I had to rewatch this. She has a flare gun. She decides she's going to shoot in his face. And I got confused by the scene. At first, went back and watched it because she doesn't turn around and shoot him. She literally sets it off accidentally. It ricochets like five times in the car and then hits him in the face and knocks him off. <laughs> it's so loony. It's, it's so dumb. It's ridiculous. <sighs> At which point, Gabriel just gets back on the car, climbs in, knocks Audrey out, grabs the gun out of Jeep's hand. Audrey comes up behind him. Jeep decides he's going to get to 120 miles per hour and hits the brake. Now, here's the problem. The car stops. <laughs> I like it. He says like there's just water. <laughs> the car stops like it hits something. Like instantly. Like I went from 120 to zero. So Gabriel goes flying out the front. But they don't. He just uses the normal brake. You know, it yep. should have been Not like. Not even the e-brake. <laughs> oh, like at worst, Gabriel should have been smushed up in the front seat. That's it. <laughs> but he was flying out of the car. And then the whole car flips over and goes off the side of the road. It's like, no, no. No. But also, that baby is not secure. That baby is. Correct. No way in hell is that baby okay. And no way is a newborn going to do well in an accident of that kind at 120 miles per hour. Let alone any of them. The only person who actually is fatally wounded, majorly wounded, the only person who is beyond minor cuts and scrapes is Audrey, who does not survive the crash. Are you kidding me? Everything about that is awful. You ever, you ever run real fast and stop on a dime and try to hold on to what you're holding? Nope. It's hard. It's going to fly. They're 120 miles an hour in a car screaming into the desert, and she's holding on to a baby? Mm -hmm. nah, nope. That baby is a projectile. They, at this point, climb a hill. Gabriel lands and knocks Jeep out. So, again, <laughs> Jeep leaps up, grabs Gabriel. They both fall to cliff. Jeep's holding on to Gabriel, so when Gabriel glides to a halt, he's fine. Gabriel asks, so why do you fight when all hope is lost? And then Jeep... Invokes the Holy Scripture, reciting "fuck you," <laughs> and at which point these words are what it takes for Michael to be reborn, wings and all. Now here's the thing: so Michael is now back. Michael has his wings. The only way Michael comes back from the dead and gets his wings back is if he is forgiven and redeemed in the eyes of God. Yep. Which means God has backed his play, except. That is only true in these two minutes. Even after this encounter, it plays as if God has not changed his mind. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This was so confusing. I literally, the first time I thought I saw this movie, this scene to me was the moment where it's like, oh, God has changed their mind. The apocalypse is halted. It's over. And then I watched it again. I'm like, wait, no, it's not. That's not actually what happened here. It's just God's like, you know what? You were a fuck up and you went against me and everything you did was wrong. But I'm going to bring you back anyway. <laughs> well, I, I think what you have to imagine in this film is that God is basically a capricious Wizard of Oz. Yes. And yes. not God. He's just a dude behind the curtain going, I like you now. Nah, never mind. Okay, maybe <laughs> sure. Whatever. Gabriel's like, you know, this can't be. You disobeyed him. Michael says, you gave him what he asked for. I gave him what he needed. But again, 
if it's God realizing that Michael is giving him what he needs, that negates the purpose of the apocalypse. <laughs> but no, this obvious fact to me, at least, is not enough to halt Gabriel, who comes swinging. Michael basically runs him through. Gabriel's like, do it. Michael does not finish him. Gabriel's like, I would not have shown you such mercy. Michael's like, I know. That's why you failed him. You just didn't. We just saw this happen. You just didn't. You <laughs> <laughs> here. It was two minutes ago. <laughs> Gabriel leaves in shame. Michael says they're waiting. Jeep says, where are you going? He says, you are their true protector. You always have been. And he's like, really? When did that start? I don't. <laughs> Michael actually has that line in the script earlier to Jeep. Because obviously Michael doesn't live to give it here. He has that line earlier. You've always been the true protector. And it makes a little bit more sense mm-hmm. there. But it, uh, now, still creepy, though. It's still dumb. Yeah. yeah. Jeep says, will we see you again? Michael's like, have faith. Uh-huh. And then Michael flies off. Jeep goes to Charlie. She's happy to see him. They watch the sunrise over the militia they just found. And on the road, Charlie once again thinks about the prophecy from her childhood about God and darkness. When we see a large arsenal in their trunk and they drive off into the distance. So here's my problem with this. You know, my, my thought in watching this originally was, where are they going? And it's like, oh, probably looking through the, for the prophets, right? Okay. In the comic, which is the prequel, and canon, because, you know, the guy... Scott Stewart worked on so, it. Yeah. The prophets are coming to them. They get to that camp. Right. So when they go to that the camp, prophets would go to them there's are all the prophets. Because the prophets' whole mission is to get to this diner right. and to get to the people. So where are they going? One They're like, make- oh, these prophets suck. I'm going to find different prophets? One can make the argument. <laughs> one can make the argument at this point. Obviously, if the prophets are the militia and they get to the militia and they all meet up. At this point, they're enacting whatever the instructions are on the arm. I mean, they're, where they're going could be anything. Yeah, it's fine. Anything. I'm fine with that. But, you know, it's, but it's, it doesn't give you any of that. The last you get is that we have to it. find the prophets and we're going to this thing. And then it cuts to this. And like, I have a bandana now. We're driving into the sunset <laughs> in, I might add, a Jeep. Now, I didn't watch Dominion and I didn't read enough about it. But Dominion is, of course, a series based off the Legion movie. It's two seasons kind of dealing with what happens after the film. And the little bit I caught was from my research is that since the incidents that occur in the film, God has gone missing. God is gone. So humanity has basically reduced itself to a handful of these large cities, which they use to defend themselves from the outside angels. And Gabriel is still pushing the mission because he feels that if they complete the apocalypse, then God will come back. I mean, that could almost work. If it applied to this film in that God brought back Michael, but since God was not there after the fact to tell Gabriel, right, of course I brought him back, you know, because he was right, motherfucker. Without that incident to happen, without God actively and directly saying to Gabriel, call off the forces, they would proceed anyway. That kind of works. But you don't get any of that in this film. The film is so clunky and poorly written. It, I enjoy it. It was fun. But when you actually stop to think about it, it's just so broken. And you're right. It needs a top-down refit. So with Michael dying at Gabriel's hands in the original script, so that the, way, would fit. The, the way the rest of it plays out then is when they're in the car, and there's the, the finished film where Jeep says, all right, well, we have to assess our weaponry. What do we have? And they're going through it. It's like, I got a flare gun. And that's where the flare gun comes in. Script. Audrey's in the back. And before she pulls out the flare gun, she says, well, there's this, and there's a grenade. So mm. keep that in mind. So everything, stupid stuff happens with Gabriel landing on the car, the flare gun, and all that ridiculous stuff. Charlie and Jeep leave, and then Gabriel jumps on him. So he has the bit where he beats the shit out of Jeep, has him in the sleeper hole, and Charlie says, 
you know, stop, stop, stop. I'll give you the baby. And Gabriel says, okay. And she hands him this bundle and Gabriel you know, takes the bundle and says, and as the child's cries are extinguished in eternal darkness, it last descended upon the world. And then he pulls the cloth back and it's the grenade. And he looks at Charlie and she holds up the pin. And so then Gabriel fucking explodes. But yeah, this movie was heavily flawed and then completely broken with Michael coming back. Michael should never have come back. Yeah. And as far as the film overall goes, I, I do not care for this film. It's well shot. Cast is good. Some of the design stuff is fun. But fundamentally, it's like like I've mentioned in the script excerpts I've read, there's a very, and then this happens, and this happens, and this happens, <laughs> effusiveness. And then at the same time, the movie is taking itself very seriously yes. in its presentation, where it's, there are these trashy leanings, these very pulpy leanings, but it, the movie takes itself too seriously, and the script is just too bland and perfunctory to yep. do that. So to fix it, you needed one of two things. You either need... Makes it just a complete ground-up rewrite. Yep. And not just find and replace Angels with Demons. Really rework it from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Or the other thing you do is you just lean into the Sam Raimi-ness of all of it. And oh, lean that would into work. the pulpiness of it. That would definitely just work. Just embrace that. Yeah. Like I said, if this was a movie which, and this is going to sound silly, but if this was a movie where Bruce Campbell was Michael instead of Paul Bettany, Ooh. and you just leaned into like everything was just... It had that manic energy to it, where it's, oh, fuck the self-seriousness. Imagine, let's just be trashy, with angels doing, like, you know, biological, you know, bombs and shit. Imagine Jeep played by Ted Raimi. Yeah! <laughs> and if it was, it would have been great. It would have been vastly better, but though. But you, you could have made it better if you just leaned into the ridiculousness part of it. You know, just Gladys, like, you know, while she's scurrying across the ceiling going, I'll swallow yourself, swallow yourself. Exactly! <laughs> like, you can see, like, the same Raimi, like, yes! handheld shots and yes! do press zooms all the fucking time on the action and with the possessed people. Like, because they treat the angels, the, they're basically deadites. Yep. The way they approach, you know, all the Absolutely. possessed people. So, it, it, reading it and with that effusiveness, yeah, and all these exclamation points and bold print, I was like, yeah, if you would add this really kind of hyped up energy to it and you just leaned into that you know bonkersness you'd have been been great but it would have been significantly better Mm -hmm. but the the self-serious approach does not hold up it's just too fundamentally flawed for that i think it's one of those movies where it's it's a little bit weird in that if you describe specific scenes to people it sounds fun and exciting but it's really just kind of dull and trite and annoying yeah and it's like the epcot rant it, it's not unlike a movie we recently <laughs> covered the uh, the stepfather remake, in that you know the idea is fine ish, but yeah, you, just, moments, you yeah. just take something that has real interesting roots and you do nothing with it. You know, it is the unsalted hummus of films. <laughs> <laughs> it is a consistency here, but it's just I, you know, it could have been good. Like the cast is fantastic; it's phenomenal casting, and I mean, except for Jeep. <laughs> where's that asterisk i hear an asterisk in there. but respect respect it's just it's it's just yeah it, it it's broken as you said it's dull it's pointless it's one of those things that feels like the exoskeleton of what could have been a better movie but this has been shed but all we've got is that it's just it doesn't work on so many levels the soundtrack's not interesting the score is not interesting you know, the plot doesn't make any sense. And frankly, Doug Jones and Charles S. Dutton both deserve a lot better than this. So much oh, more. Yeah. So much more. You know, and the most memorable thing is the 30 seconds that Doug Jones is in it. 
mm-hmm. which is why we chose this film for Doug Jones. Thank you, so, Doug Jones. So Thank happy Doug, Doug Jones. Jones Day. Just find that. That scene's on YouTube, man. Just watch that. Yeah, that's all you really need. You don't need context, man. It's creepy-ass I, milkman. What I do you might need say, for? if you're interested in the actors, you know, the Gabriel and Michael scenes are nice, too, when they're talking, not fighting. But yeah, other than that, it's all Doug Jones all the way. Yep. That's my, my final thing in the movie. The people in it deserve better. And Doug Jones is fun for, you know, his scenes. And I think it was a good Doug Jones Day choice. Agreed. Well, that's that's all I've got on this bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Happy Doug Jones Day, everybody. And you know, one way or the other, it was great to talk about this film. And it's great hanging out in studio again. It was nice it was being fantastic. down here in the studio Absolutely. again. That's This is good. Thank you so much for listening. This is Eric signing off. This is Nick saying, that baby's going to burn. This is Jake saying, buy our coffee. And also check us out at scarystuffpodcast.com. We'd love to see you. We'll have a link to the coffee. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Happy Doug Jones Day. Happy Happy Doug Doug Jones Jones Day. Day!